Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Wonder Woman. I'm going to go and watch it with my slushie. And your lasso. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hi. Good evening. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 286-286. Getting there. We're slowly getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. I, I'm no. talking about 290, not even 300. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, what What are you getting, getting to? <laughs> 290. <laughs> um, and this week, uh, we are talking Wonder Woman, uh, the latest in the DCEU, the first major theatrical release for a Wonder Woman film, and yeah, all that. Um, joining us tonight to discuss Wonder Woman, we have from Forbes, he's been working on his gymnastics-based archery. It's Scott Mendelson. I have sprained both legs. And from M Time China, doing his best to stave off the manocalypse, it's Todd Gilchrist. Hi guys, how are you? Good. Doing well. How are you guys doing tonight? Very good, thank you. I have to say, I mean, I'm not going to pull a Mrs. Doubtfire to sneak in because that would be awful. But those all women screenings sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, they do. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get the those happen tomorrow as of the night, the day of this recording. So we'll 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 get the inside scoop on on how horrible it was for all the men that were sitting out in neighboring theaters in the same theater next door to the screens that they were not allowed to be in. But uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. We'll get let's just talk about this movie tonight. Um, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's get to some. Let's get some show notes stuff before we get into uh, into the main feature and all that. Uh, first up, it is a new month, which means we'll get a new commentary at some point. Um, we haven't decided on what yet, but uh, it should be fun. We got a lot of options. A lot of options in June, so uh, we'll see. Coming soon, basically. Scorpion King Three. Scorpion. <laughs> does that one have Billy Zane? I don't know. I think it does. I pretty sure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them do. Yeah, that's right, Todd. But uh, I think the third one does. Because I feel like I remember seeing like the press release for the Scorpion King three, and it like it made a it made a note to have Billy Zane featured in prominence. That's enough of that uh, tangent. Let's move back into things. Uh, let's see what else. What what do I have here? We haven't done a contest in a while. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. I have a stack of Blu-rays that I just like. I'm waiting to give away to people. Well, the ratings are they're pre-watched, so you know. Not all of them. Some of them are wrapped. The ones that you didn't want to watch. Well, some are just old, and others are just like, I have another copy of this. I don't need it, so I can give it away. Regardless, go. I have some quality Blu-ray titles that are so even this one, even for, uh, 4K that I have that are just like just sitting here has nothing to do with. We should make some contests. We should, and we will. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say right now, let's get some new banner photos from our uh, our Facebook page. This part where Abe says yes and oh I don't know I thought that something had happened I thought that there was a, basic improv I thought man. that there was a yes weird and. delay there but I will yes and you yes and yeah people should, if anyone wants to give it submit like to us a, a new Facebook uh, banner page uh, photo so that says out now there and an Abe on it kind of you know says something something summary something that fits with the you know the vibe of the podcast and current time of year and what have you. Uh, you know, submit to us over to our, our email outnowpockets at gmail dot com, or just you know, give us a message on Facebook with on it. Facebook, we'll uh, yeah. see what we can do. Maybe someone will win a con. Maybe someone will win a win a cool Blu-ray. 
and send it over to you. Could be unwrapped. <laughs> or wrapped. It'll be wrapped regardless because it'll come in a fancy package, a box. Hey, this, is, this seems to be something you're very concerned about, whether, <laughs> the or, not, whether or not they're open or not. I mean, you know. Part of, part of it is like watchable. the smell of Aaron's house in the DVD, which is a treat within itself because his house smells like pancakes all the time. Sure. I wish that was true. <laughs> I do. You might be onto something there, Todd. I might have to go and uh, talk to my therapist or something. <laughs> An intense period of self-examination ensued. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I so obsessed with wrapped or unwrapped DVDs? I guess I have to say this out loud too. I'm sorry, we can't ship to across, you know, out of America. I gotta, since we, I, I, I'm aware that we have some overseas listeners, which we're grateful for, but I, I can only send things so far on our, our meager podcast budget. We can send so, you uh, clips from YouTube if you, if you Abe, win for overseas. Abe, Abe can do that. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll send you. We'll send you a recording of us watching the movie you would have gotten. <laughs> that's a that's a neat idea that we'll have to explore later. That, that opens up a whole new can of worms. Anyway, but what else? Anyway. Um, summer Gamble update. Please <laughs> don't. <laughs> well, so, as many listeners know, we have our Summer Gamble currently going. With, uh, Abe and I, along with a number of other out-now regular guests, including Scott, actually, uh, have all uh, submitted what they think are going to be the top ten highest-grossing films of the summer at the domestic box office. And, of course, Wonder Woman opened this weekend, which was, uh, you know, a big... Uh, Big question mark over how that would perform. Obviously, it's not the end of the summer. We don't know how it's going to finally do. But, you know, a $100 million opening weekend, certainly a good, good sign. It's It'll be bad. probably in the upper tier. Yeah. So uh, I know some of us have, a lot of us have Wonder Woman around number four, number three area. Hey, where, where's Wonder Woman on your list? Right now, it's, uh, it's at my number seven. And I should have listened to my gut because I did have it at number four. All right. Oh, good. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, things we'll worked out well. Things worked out well for uh, for Wonder, and ironically, things didn't work out so well for Pirates in the second weekend, which actually bodes well for a lot of our other lists as well, as far as having uh, it fairly low on there. While uh, I believe Abe, where do you have Pirates on your list? I have a number two. Okay, oh. all right. Uh, Is it as bad as Marcus Robinson? Probably not, but at number one? Yeah. No, not quite. Not quite there. I think that we can so. all agree that we're really happy that Baywatch isn't doing well. Well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of us have it at number ten. A lot, of, a lot of us have it at number 10, so that's not actually great for us <laughs> oh, okay. as far as the Summer Gamble goes. I mean, hooray for American intelligence, but I mean, you know, beyond that, it, it's... Uh... That, was a, that was a good update. The, the funny thing is, Dead Man Tenno Tales is doing terribly, but Salazar's Revenge? That movie's a hit. I, I think you guys mean Salazar. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's, only when he's got the I'm list. I'm sorry, I just coughed up black, uh, black liquid all over my desk, so I apologize. That's only when you're talking about Chuck Sparrow. <laughs> Do you think that was uh, that was just like whale oil that he was coughing up? Like, what was that? It was it was my soul, quite frankly. Because <laughs> I, I was sitting in that movie, going, "I have it's been taken from me, just like two hours of my life." I think it was a jar of the stuff that Danny DeVito had at the end of Batman Returns. <laughs> oh, that was oh. actually my exact thought. Sad penguin funeral death. <laughs> that was moving when I was. That 12. was. Uh, I mean, like those two emperor penguins take him into the water. Yeah. That's one of my favorite death scenes in all movies. I'm not yeah. kidding. That never returns. Penguin death. I'm writing down a note right now. We're gonna have to get to that like at a at a top ten list one day. Like maybe during Halloween. I'll ask you. Would be a bad topic. All right. Yeah. What else? Last thing here, iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those, helps out the show, helps other people find the show. If you enjoy all this banter, and plus the other fun stuff we do on the show, log on to iTunes, search out now here in an Abe, give us a, a star rating, that'd be cool. Give us a, and then, you know, maybe write a little uh, written review, that'd also be pretty cool. Give us a review of our reviews. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. go. 
<laughs> but yeah. Uh, also, as uh, we kind of mentioned, episode 300, it's coming. Coming up. Coming. Aaron and I Until have been uh, working with the wolves in the forest since we were 10, just like in 300. That, that's, that's a callback. Yep, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a reach, my kind friend. Of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I felt, I wish that, we could have... I felt compelled to explain it further. I wish we could have Todd on most episodes, just have him quietly sit in the corner and kind of remark on these 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 tangents you jump to. I can't I sure, can't actually sure. see Todd, but I'm I'm pretty sure his head's just shaking most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move on from this, guys. Let's get to know everybody. For each week, we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to know everybody. Know everybody. All right. Hey. Actually, wait. Hold on. I, I felt you <laughs> have to ask the question. I have the, I have the first question I have to do now before we run through all of our guests. Uh, this one's for Scott and Todd. Which has the better soundtrack, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Unquestionably Volume 2. Yes. Wow, okay. Two okay. points in my favor there you this go. week. I, th- I think it's evened up now. I think it's like 4-4. Four, four. It might be. It yeah. might be. Last week was two points in my favor as well. <laughs> it was, uh, I think the song choices were better tied into the emotional poignancy of the characters. I'm going to go uh, back and revisit Volume 2 for sure now. Well, I would. I, there, I agree with Scott's uh, defense of it, but also I just, as a person who has listened to, like, and has become, has been obsessed with, like, sort of 70s AM radio for many, many, many years, um, you know, I mean, the, the first one to me really plays, like, the most basic, like, KTEL. Super Sounds of the 70s compilation. I mean, like, most of those songs were used in other movies. Mm-hmm. If not better, it just they were used before. Whereas even the ones that were used in the second one, to me, I thought were used, as as Scott said, like, in a more inventive or, or more emotionally engaging way. Like, I'm all for Hooked on a Feeling, but, like, I think of that song, I think of Reservoir Dogs. Yes. I don't yes. hear Wim Bam Shang-A-Lang anywhere else. I do Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I'm just like Alan McBeal when I hear up and up. Yeah, Dancing Baby. Yeah, that's Dancing also, Baby. That's a, there's, there's that part like, too. That was like 1999. That's like the biggest yeah. thing on television. And on uh, most uh, internet meme things at that point. Yeah. So it was like, that was, that was the I mean, Fox right on there. the Run, I mean, looking at Volume 2, I mean, that's, Fox on the Run was Daisy Confused, Mr. Blue Sky was in uh, Eternal Sunshine. You know, I mean, these were ones, but I mean, like, Brandy or a Fine Girl is a great song straight up mm-hmm. uh, as Kurt Russell says it's one of the greatest songs in human existence it it may actually be I mean <laughs> if they put Midnight at the Oasis on there next to it I would be in agreement but um, but like My Sweet Lord that George Harrison song that's a great song that's yeah a really super great song or Lakeshore Drive is another like that just yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right that's a, that's, a, that's a pandering to my side of the argument <laughs> as far as which I don't mind it I like these I like these uh these you know discussions Todd is a bit of a music maestro. Maybe we'll have a special episode at some point where we can talk about more about movie soundtracks, which we do like to do on this show every now and then. Anytime. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some other questions now. Abe, what do you you got for us? Got a question for you guys. If you guys are going out to battle and you guys pass by Wonder Woman's armaments, do you take the sword, the shield, or the lasso? I I don't. I think the lasso probably comes in handy in a number of ways. Yeah, okay. I like that. Uh, If we're going into battle, which of these are we going to use? Yeah. Is that the question? Uh, I don't know. What, what would you say, Scott? I would, if we're actually in a, a going into a fight, I would have to go with the sword so I could fight. 
I mean, the lasso is awesome if you know what the hell you're doing, but I imagine you can <laughs> But you, you, you know what you're doing with a sword? <laughs> well, I can swing it at the other person. Uh, <laughs> I have a better chance of killing somebody with a sword than I do with... I know how to use this lasso in just the right way to tie him up. Uh-huh. I mean, River Phoenix picked up a whip and figured that out pretty quickly. He also gave himself a scar. And then he died a few years later. <laughs> you know, Aaron, Aaron, that's not that's not this movie, though, right? You, that, <laughs> you know, that was that's a different character. It's a whole different mythology. <laughs> You're saying that Wonder Woman didn't go chasing after the the, the Jesus the Nazi, articles? Well, technically, she did, kind of, but um, she did not steal a, a cross and murder four or five men that happened to be on the boat while she did it. You know, there is a time jump between her being young Diana versus older Diana. So I don't know what you're telling me as if I don't know. Sure, sure. My apologies. You're right. Uh, So my answer would be a shield. Okay. Okay. There you go. I guess that's the last thing there. Yeah. I guess I'm going out to battle with nothing. So I'll just stand behind you guys. Classic Abe. I'll be be shouting directions out. You will be like... You're the you're the old English man with the mustache. Is like we'll just risk other lives. You're I'm that actually, guy. I'm actually Merlin in King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. I'm, I'm the I take the form of a hawk and never really show up. <laughs> oh, the 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 extended cut. Does he show up? <laughs> we'll see. I'll just send I, some woman in my place. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, Peter Parker, Otto Octavius. What's your favorite alliterative superhero or villain name? Mm, that's a good question here. Oh. Lois Lane. Lois Lane, alright. Uh, I've been probably because Spider-Man's my all-time favorite superhero, Peter Parker. I do like that, too. Way to copy me. No. <laughs> but, uh, I don't really like the Fantastic, Fantastic Four, but Reed Richards is... J. Jonah Jameson, what am I saying? I mean, he's not oh, a superhero. Oh, Triple J. He's not it's a good. superhero, though. Good. But, that I mean, fits. It's... It's, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. May, I, may I offer a tip of the hat to David Dunn? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hat tipped. Do you it have is, one, Eric? We should have, all, we should have all seen this coming, David Dunn. Uh, <laughs> actually, the J. Jonah Jameson calls is pretty good. Uh, and one of my favorite bits of Spider-Man 2, of which there are many, is when J. Jonah Jameson is discussing Otto Octavius and just how convenient that is for him to write a newspaper article about. <laughs> It happens. It's just a little. J.K. Simmons just destroys that part. Like, there's yeah. no need to put him in future Spider-Man movies unless he's going to be in there because it's just like, it's, yeah, how, no, I would agree how else that. do you do this? Like, yeah. that's, it's perfect. Replace, re- reboot Peter Parker all you want, but leave J. Jonah Jameson alone. Yeah, you leave him alone. <laughs> you leave him out of this. He's a national treasure. <laughs> he is now, and an Academy Award winner. True. Yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of huh? Scott Summers is also a fun one. Even though I don't like Cyclops, I do like saying Scott Summers. Who <laughs> likes Cyclops? What? Gene Gray didn't even like Cyclops. I know. How sad. <laughs> He's like the Baxter of the superhero world. I like when he goes darker, when he becomes like a villain, essentially. <laughs> sure. He becomes more interesting and not just because <laughs> like Cap's got like Boy Scout in his cupboard, so it's like Cyclops is like, oh, you can't see, and you're a boy. All right, that's great for you. <laughs> anyway. That's how you play. No, everybody. No, everybody. Right. Let's move on now. Let's get to it. Out now, quickies. Tim? 
Each week on Out Now, we have one movie we talk about. We have a movie series during the week. That's what we're talking about. Tim, that was pretty good this week. Thank you. Give it to you. Abe, thank yes. you. Have you seen any other movies this week? I did. I finally got a chance to watch uh, Bill Lynn's long halftime walk in glorious Ooh. 24 frames per second. And, <laughs> and I, uh, I was talking to Aaron later. I was like, I kind of regret missing this in theaters because I would have loved to have seen it in 120 frames per second regardless of how good or bad it was. I actually thought it was pretty good until it wasn't good. And what I mean by that is <laughs> I love the irony and I love the satire and I love like the punches that it takes at all this like this heroic stuff that we put on the screen. And uh, in any case, uh, it was good until it wasn't good. By that, it mean, I'm meaning that the ending was just, uh, it kind of fell into what it was trying to make fun of. And I, I don't know if I really liked that part of it. But uh, I, I thought the performances were great. That kid looked, I looked him up and uh, I was like, oh, this guy's British. And I was kind of surprised because I thought that he was just this young, you know, American actor. But hey, you know, good on him for being able to pull off all this, like, crying on the screen. And I thought that, uh, man. What? Garrett, Garrett Hedlund? You no, know, Garrett Hedlund was good too. But who's, oh man, the LAPD cop from Rush Hour? Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. <laughs> Chris Tucker was, Chris Tucker was really solid in here. So a lot of good performances. I think that there was some uh, some fantabulous satire, but ultimately it kind of just uh, it did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. I, I thought that the ending was was part of the, the weakest part of it. I'm generally surprised when they're not British at this point. Uh, really? To your point. Uh, yeah. Um, but just like the idea that your understanding of British is that they are not capable of crying, and that was the most <laughs> impressive part to you was that you were <laughs> he's, he's, actually he broke upper lip. <laughs> if they're good at acting they've got to be british that's what aaron says sure, okay, sure. Got it. yeah see i don't i i already you know was didn't like the movie that much i appreciated sure. aspects of it especially again i think garrett Hedlund's great in that movie uh but i don't know how to recommend it not in the format it was made in i don't know what there is to be like you need to go see this because of this because yeah. there's no real reason unless you have like as like a 4k setup and they do it that way it's only like 60 frames per second I think, 60, in that. right yeah but uh which even then, that's still you know that's different. I would have been curious to see what it, what it looked like. Is is kind of what I'm just getting to. I was very you... impressed. Okay. Um, see, I I can I can say I'm impressed, but I just I don't like it. I don't like these four. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, sure. I'm in the I'm in the waiting for Cameron to impress me with this because I just can't seem to understand the the visual joy that's supposed to come from seeing and Jimmy C won't let us down. <laughs> Jimmy C. <laughs> I, I'm fully expecting to wrap my pants with my mouth wide open. <laughs> Images I never wish I thought of. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that I, I did not see it, so I have no opinion. Okay. Other than to be, uh, you know, your Statler or Waldorf for the day. Todd, have you seen any other movies this week? Let's see. Did I see any movies this week? Uh, you know, I watched uh, uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia for the first time, actually. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> they had a Twilight Time or whatever the company is that put the Blu-ray out. They had like a sale, so I it was a movie that I had been recommended numerous times, so I purchased it without having seen it and uh, sat down the other week and watched it. And actually, I, I really uh, it's kind of amazing. I mean, like it's one of these movies where you completely understand why people thought it was like a total piece of crap when it first came out because mm. it is so uh, melancholy and you know sort of inaccessible in so many ways but um but at because the same sam peckinpah is normally known for his family friendly sure features. sure yes exactly exactly <laughs> i mean Stroud dogs was, was like family friendly yes yes of course, <laughs> of course 
But no, but it was it's just a, it's an interesting movie that was people said like they sort of reviled it when it first came out and uh it has been sort of reevaluated as a masterpiece and uh I you know I'm not quite yet yet ready to call it that but uh but I thought it was a really remarkable movie cuz like it was one of these things where I just thought it was like more of like an action oriented kind of thing or whatever it was even for the in the context of knowing his other movies and it kind of subverted every expectation hmm. at every turn and I mean it's it's a really remarkable movie so I uh I recommend it. Very cool. Yeah. Scott, you got a movie you've seen this week? Oh uh, well, obviously I saw Captain Underpants, which was delightful. Um, very funny, very clever. Um, it kept the focus less on the superheroic satire and more on just a really fun, sweet relationship between two two goofy elementary school boys. Um, visually inventive, breaks the fourth wall in clever ways. Hmm. Uh, my kids saw it this afternoon. My my wife took them, and I hung out with the baby, and they loved it. I mean, they had a blast. I mean, it's just up my my old my middle son's alley in terms of literal toilet humor. Um, but the funny thing is, this you know, despite that, there I, you know, there wasn't a ton of outright vulgar humor in the picture. No. Um, I mean, it really never goes above you know pee pee poo poo jokes, if that. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun. I it's. You know, it's it's good as the books are. You like the books? I like. Hmm. I had no familiarity with the uh, with the Captain Underpants books beyond just seeing them in like a bookstore and be like, okay, that's one of those kids' books. Apparently, um, and yeah. so seeing seeing the movie, um, I also really enjoyed it. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It, it had a it has a solid voice cast. Um, yep. With Kevin Hart, Thomas Middleditch, Ed Helms, and uh, Nick Kroll. It's not super deep, but you know, it's about like the power of friendship and imagination and just a fun time given the kind of humor that it's going for. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Pretty short movie. Yeah. 89 minutes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it has a weird Al theme song at the end. So, I mean, how yeah. could you not like it? <laughs> That's better than a credit cookie. Uh, I caught up with tank girl, which I hadn't seen in many, 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 many years. Um, I like it. I still do. Uh, it's weird. It's quirky. It's, it's, you can see how it was somewhat of a cult trendsetter 20 years ago. And I think it still holds up as, as the kind of film that you kind of wish was a bigger hit back in the day. Um, I've seen a couple things. Uh, well, first off, I'll say I mentioned I'll, I have started the fifth season of House of Cards, um, which is the the fourth season was a, was a good kind of not necessarily a reset, but it just it got things moving again in a way that I think the third season kind of got bogged down with the fourth season. And this so far, I've only I'm only like four episodes in. It's keeping that momentum. Like I, it's not my favorite of the Netflix original series, but I do appreciate what it's doing. And in a time where we are right now, it's hard, obviously hard not to. I mean, obviously even the writers have to you know, figure things, figure out how to make things more scandalous than you know real life. Um, but I will say it's accomplishing what it needs to in a similar way that Veep is doing the best it can to accomplish what it needs to outside <laughs> of the reality of the world that we're in. Um, so there's that. Um, I watched Fist Fight. Which came out last week. And? Uh, not very good. Okay. Glad <laughs> <laughs> that I missed it. It uh, it has it has its share of laughs, but it's 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 this like fantasy world where like everyone just like says the f word all the time and no one cares. Um, and, but that's the best way to do improv, I guess. And so you have a lot of funny people using that as a crutch, and which is unfortunate because there's some funny bits in there. 
And Charlie Day versus Ice Cube has a level of novelty that I can appreciate. Uh, but yeah, not you know, not one I need to watch again. <laughs> that one. Uh, but I do want to talk more about uh, Logan Noir. Um, this is the the black and white release of Logan that came out with the Blu-ray a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, for Logan. Um, I want to mention this because the the my opinion of Logan it's it's you know largely the same. I still think it's it's quite good. Not maybe not the you know, like the 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 next greatest thing ever as some people uh, kind of put it up to be, but I do really like Logan, but something I like more about this version, which I acknowledge is being a gimmick, like, it really is, it's like, hey, it's in black and white now, so why not watch this, but, like, one of the issues I had with Logan uh, was the kind of, having the shackles off to go with that R rating, the, the intensity of the violence, I think, got to kind of way over the top levels, not that, like, it's unnecessary for Logan's abilities to not be seen to their fullest especially when you have an r rating to go with it but there's something about the kind of the you know super sharp blades uh being used so often to make so much blood happen it just it gets to a point where it's almost it's almost a point of parody and something i like about something i like about the black and white version is it it basically it scale it scales down the intensity while still keeping the kind of the visceral nature of what's going on intact if that Hmm. makes sense like there's still you still get like the the required effect of Logan being involved in certain battles and using his claws to the fullest extent. It's still there, but the kind of what you're seeing on screen, I think the you know the, taking the color out, um, it kind of it increases a different part of what you're reacting to, and I think that makes it more effective, honestly, in how it incorporates violence into the story. Um, so worth it's also it. just, I th- well, I do think it. I think it's quite yeah. worth it. Okay. Uh, I. I I've seen a number of kind of films that have been, you know, made into black and white versions or even TV series like The Walking Dead, which is a black and white comic book. They released the uh, like the first season in black and white. You can watch it that way just to be like more in line with the comp. But even with with that season, that was Frank Darabont's involvement. I'll speak of him again because of The Mist was a film where he released it on Blu-ray with the black and white cut of that that film. And it look it plays better because of the the animation of those CG monsters in that film, it becomes less of a thing because it's like, well, it's a different world. Your mind responds differently to it with that aesthetic. And I think Logan fits into that realm of like successful transfers as opposed to others that are just done for the sake of, Hey, this looks cool or this way. Maybe I think Logan actually somewhat benefits from the, the, the lack of a, of a, of a, of a you know, the lack of color in mm-hmm. this instance. Cool. Uh, Did they add in more, um, scenes where he stabbed somebody through the face because you know that that was I thought a hundred was not enough for me. <laughs> and the color. So. No, but like as I'm saying, I think that the the use of face stabs I think become it, it, it feels more like artistic. What's well, not not artistic, but it just it feels less like it, it's not like I'm not feeling like, it, like it's something they're highlighting as much because okay. of that. Like I'm responding to different aspects of what's going on in a given scene because of the way it looks now as opposed to before where it's like wow that was that was brutal <laughs> like that was a way to go <laughs> and watching it again by the way because i only saw it the ones in the theaters like watching it again there there really is some strong acting going on in the midst of all this action i do think there's i'm not, I'm not the level where, like this needs an oscar but like hugh jackman's like giving it his all in this movie and like and patrick stewart's also great like there's a really strong performance work going on which again you know, less to work with as far as what you're visually seeing. You can really kind of put a spotlight on those aspects, and I think it's there. Cool. Yeah, it's fine. Well, I have to wonder, I mean, again, I haven't seen either of these, so I'm speaking not from experience, but you have a film like Logan that's you know, wants to be viewed as a 1950s Western, or, you know, or something like The Mist, which wants to be viewed, you know, sort of a 1950s creature feature, whether or not that's, you know, to a certain extent, they play better in black and white, because that's 
kind of how you picture those genres in the first place. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, there's plenty of color westerns in the 50s, yada, yada, yada. But um, was Shane in black and white? Or was that color? That was color. Shane's Sean a color movie. What am I thinking? Liberty Valance, I think. High Noon? Yes, definitely High Noon. I, I think Liberty Valance is black and white. Liberty Valance is also black and white, yeah. Yes. Anyway, but then, yeah, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that I wish I had time to just sort of veg out and do one day. So maybe one of these days I'll make time. I mean, you can make time for the miss. It's got Andre Brower in there. You love Andre <laughs> Brower. You can sit down and be like, why not? <laughs> I always thought the miss stunk, so you don't need to make any time. <laughs> I love the miss. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure but then you'll love it in black and white. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I will. I'll love it in pure black, so I don't have to watch it at all. <laughs> TV off. Have you seen Fury Road in black and white? I have I have not seen Jerry from the Black. I haven't. I, I'm, it, I'm like, it's okay. It's fine in color. I, like, I think the film looks very nice with its colors. I don't want to yeah. lose those colors. I mean, the, one of the things that impressed me about Fury Road was white was my wondering of like, why is the marketing playing up this like saturated version when the movie is so like incredibly colorful with, yeah. the, with the sand and the skies and every like it's like this movie does not look like the production stills of this movie, which are all grainy and sad. Yeah, it's like that. This random video game trivia. It's like how Borderlands looked before. They're like, let's make this cell shaded and awesome instead of just super bland and dark and everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh. <clears throat> Another topic we could re- revisit at some point. Black and white. By the way, I just have to. I'm sorry. Before we yeah. move on, I'm really loving being on this particular episode because Scott Mendelson laughs like Harvey Keitel, <laughs> and that makes me like laugh like in my head at least every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Reservoir Dogs is a movie that I've watched 150 times, and listening to him laugh will always like crack me up. And so, my my new my goal for the rest of the episode is just going to be to figure out ways to make Scott laugh. <laughs> I'm aiming for Mark Hamill Joker, but obviously I'm coming in at Reservoir Dogs Harvey Keitel. I mean, it's a compliment. Believe yeah. believe me. No, I know. You're not the first person that that's remarked on enjoying the podcast where I'm on because I like to listen to me cackle. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yes. <laughs> as you were. <laughs> uh, carry on. All right. That's Uncle Cookies. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm self-aware. Let's let's get to our trailer talk. We talk about one of the movie trailers of the week. What we thought of it, what have you. This week, we, uh, we're going over Murder on the Orient Express. Because the... crap, the studios didn't do a damn thing for Wonder Woman. They did not love <laughs> their big guns or what. There were you know, there were no big trailers this week, even though you had this hundred million dollar blockbuster on you know on tap. Um, anyway, <clears throat> planet safe. I, think, I mean, poor, I mean, poor got, decision. I mean, we have hundred million dollar blockbusters coming out every week for the next like six weeks. Like that. <laughs> um, I get it. I mean. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, this week for Wonder Woman, you got Murder on the Orient Express, the um, the upcoming, I guess re, not a remake. I guess it's more of a a, a new adaptation of the Agatha, Agatha Christie novel, uh, where you have Kenneth Branagh directing as well as starring as the greatest detective on earth, with a bunch of other people in this cast: uh, Johnny Depp, Daisy Ridley, Penelope Cruz, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer, uh, Judy Dench, Josh Gad, Willem Dafoe. A whole bunch of people in the Derek Jacoby. <laughs> Just wanted to point that one out. Um, based on what we're seeing, pretty 
brief look. It's more of a teaser, but I mean, you get a sense of who everybody is in this. And then Imagine Dragons makes you ease into the <laughs> into the, the world of this film, I guess. Uh, <laughs> my Todd, what did you think of the trailer for Murder on the Orient Express? Um, I mean, you know, I actually thought it was fine. Uh, you know, it. I will say that the idea that the guy who is the greatest detective in human history or whatever he calls himself, uh, I, I find that to be sort of preemptively irritating. I mean, it'd be one thing if there was like a person sort of in voiceover who is like, "Oh, this is his colleague," or "This is the guy who's uh, the 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 guy who's taking tickets on the train." And he's like, "Oh, aren't you the greatest detective who ever lived?" or something like that. But like <laughs> this guy, sort of very self-importantly saying that, I'm like, "Well, well, fuck you." So you know, <laughs> it's like it's like you know. I mean, I mean, honestly, the trailer's fine. Like, I mean, it it could be it could be very interesting. I I find um, that as much as when I was younger I, and I liked Kenneth Branagh's acting, I don't as much anymore. Like, I find like I mean, his performance in Jack Ryan, notwithstanding his directing in that movie, to be like sort of cartoonish. And I, you know, and so it remains to be seen whether he and Josh Gad can sort of suppress their natural instincts to sort of ham it up. Um, but I do like the ensemble nature of it. And and and, and someone I, I saw after the trailer came out, they were like, is this what we're going to start getting more of these like all star ensemble kind of movies? And and that kind of thing, I actually I could be in for. I kind of like that idea. I mean, the idea of getting a ton of people. I mean, we were talking about Twin Peaks before the the podcast started. And I was, and one of the things that I actually really like about the new season is that they're just sort of throwing people in there who are these like real big stars. And they just sort of show up and they're like a wife or they're like a, this character or that. And, and that idea of, of bringing a lot of like really recognizable names into a movie just to let them have a little bit of fun in like an ensemble, I think is pretty exciting. Well, two things to say to that. I mean, wouldn't a, a new take on Murder on the Orient Express, wouldn't you expect a lot of hamminess from the cast? I mean, the story, I, I don't think it's one of that, you know, built is based around dread and seriousness. I think you're supposed to kind of have fun with, with the movie. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, but, but I, you know, it's sort of like the difference between, to me, I would, I would say it's a difference between, um, Johnny Depp in the first Pirates movie and the fifth Pirates movie, where you're like, Okay, this is just bad hammy performing. It's not actual acting anymore. Like, I mean, the, so being like a bit arch as opposed to Sasha Baron Cohen in yes, like a yes. crazy wild role. Yeah, I mean, like, like I'm all in for you know big performances, um, you know, in in general. Um, but I mean, like, I like a performance that's still a performance rather than a person who's like, can you see the performance that I'm giving right now? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. To your other point about big stars and big movies, I mean, isn't that what we get with these superhero movies? I mean, you got tons of people, like famous, recognizable people in all these superhero movies that you keep coming out. I would say that I don't agree with that, actually. I mean, like, I mean, really? I mean, I mean, like, Wonder Woman is a good case in point. I mean, you know, I think that, like, I think that there are a handful of, I guess maybe it's the difference. Between, I put that like, on the, I put that on the lower tier, but compared to when you look at, like, these Marvel posters and you see all of the names on them, it's like, there's a lot of big stars in these movies. But there are people who have been established over the course of the creation of the Marvel Universe. It's not like they're br- – I mean, when, when they are bringing in – I mean, like, notwithstanding, like, one or two people. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, like Paul Rudd, who is the star of 
Ant-Man or something notwithstanding, like to bring them into like the Marvel universe. I think it's, I, I just think it's like they've, they have effectively made those people into movie stars. I mean, you know, like, uh, I can see that, you know, uh, sorry. I guess Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth was not a star before he became Thor. And now you're like, Oh, him being in, see, it's, it's sort of like him being in Ghostbusters. To me, that's actually like really exciting. Like watching that guy who was a movie star take, I like, get what, you know? I get what you're saying. So I guess I would throw it then to like the Coen brothers or Soderbergh when he was still yes. making, well, I guess he's still yes. making movies. Now. Like they, they sure. you know, especially them because they have them in like you have George Clooney in like three scenes of one movie as opposed to like, he's the star. It's like, Oh no, he's just kind of here. Or, yeah. Or like, or, you know, so the uh, appears in one scene or like, you know, like a lot of, sure. I mean, it, almost all of Hail Caesar basically, you know, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> watching, yeah. watching Alden Ehrenreich, you know, kill in that movie in like sort of a main role where, where, and then you have Scarlett Johansson show up for like four scenes and she's just doing her like one little thing. And it's kind of a goof or, or, you know, Brad Pitt. Totally kill. He has one scene and he's third build in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, Scott, what'd you think of the trailer for Border Danny Orion Express? I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't, I'm not an Agatha Christie expert. I think I think, that arrogance is somewhat typical of the character, to my recollection. Um, so that didn't really bother me, although I vote for Basil of Baker Street. But, you know, it looks fun. As far as the song at the end, yeah, it's atypical. But, hey, we're still talking about it five days later. If they had done a somewhat traditional arch, you know, score or a more period-appropriate song, nobody would, you know, we wouldn't still be talking about it. You know, the fact that they used an Imagine Dragons song for Murder in the Orient Express... Yeah, you could argue they're going some weird demographic grab. I just think they wanted to stand out. And it does. It is a unique and amusing song choice for the end that makes the trailer memorable. Um, it's a great teaser in that, you know, because its assets are its stars, it doesn't have to give anything away. You know, they're on the train. There's apparently been a murder. It's probably Johnny Depp. Look who's not in that giant room of people. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. um, and Kenneth Branagh's going to figure it out. And that's all you need to know. You know, I know they won't do this, but I, I kind of wish they would not release any trailer. I mean, I say this all the time, but, you know, when you have what I consider a perfect teaser, you almost wish, OK, stop there. You know, if, if someone doesn't want to see the movie after seeing that teaser, you lost them. You're not going to get them. I do like the, I do like the idea of a big star-studded mystery. I think you're right. The Coen brothers do this sort of, you know, Michael Bay of all people, who is a Coen brothers fan, obviously. Yes. I think he's another, you know, likes to put a lot of really prestigious people into, you know, goofy slash campy slash, you know, very minor roles in his big blockbustery pictures. I like the idea of like an old couple walking to the theater. Like I hear a new Anthony Hopkins film is out in theaters today. We should go see that. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's a good trailer. It does the job. Well, let's hear what Abe has to say. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much agree with Scott. I mean, it's it's fine as it is. I don't, I don't know if I want to check out anything more because, uh, I mean, Aaron, you brought it up that, yeah, sure, Johnny Depp's missing. I kind of don't even want to know what his role is. I'm not familiar with the original uh, book from Agatha Christie or short story from Agatha Christie, and uh, I'm I'm very curious to see it. I, I was The only part that I was bummed out about was I'm seeing these credits show up, and it's like, oh, yeah, Academy Award nominee, and then, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer gets put on the second page. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Uh, but I guess she's holding it down on the second page for the Academy Award nominees. Uh, with that being <laughs> said, though, it certainly looks stylish, you know, the way that they present the occupations of the folks on the train. 
And I agree with Todd. That's He encapsulated what I felt at the end of that trailer where uh, Kenneth Branagh is talking. It's like, yeah, I, I, it would have been cooler or slicker, nicer maybe, if somebody else had noted that you were the world's greatest detective and not you yourself, you pompous douchebag. But uh, we'll, see. we'll see where it goes. Maybe he's a lovable character that will win me over. Well, first off, yeah. Abe, it, it, it's pronounced Seems unlikely. It's, it's pronounced Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. My, my, right my apologies, <laughs> Mrs. Pfeiffer. Okay. <laughs> or, or Miss Pfeiffer. My bad. Uh, but no, I agree with you guys. I, I think it, it it looks good from what I'm seeing. Um, I the the Branagh factor. I it's been a mixed bag as of late as far as things he's acted in and directed. Um, sometimes he's fairly understated and it works. Sometimes he goes a little bit overboard and his direction's a little. Uh, too heavy on the Dutch angles, which for some reason works in Thor better than it works in Jack Ryan. But um, uh, what I like, I mean, given the the bulk of this trailer is just a long tracking shot down an aisle way, get naming, you know, name checking all these characters or what have you. If that's reflective of the film as a whole of what it's trying to do, of kind of keeping all of these characters involved in some way, I look forward to seeing what he's capable of here. I, I do think this is a this is a neat story to kind of. It's not really updating it, but, you know, as far as making it again, I I like the idea of taking this one. And like, you know, Todd, you, we just discussed, you know, having a giant ensemble cast full of recognizable actors, uh, you know, talented recognizable actors. I think that, you know, it could bode well for a, a big release, uh, you know, big a big adult drama thriller, maybe dark comedy release. Um, but, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express opens in 2D on November 10th. So, uh, yeah. D-Box. <laughs> it's just constantly rumbling because you're on a train the whole time. So it's, just, it's the most annoying D-Box. It has no bearing on the rest of the film. Uh, well, I, I guess the 4DX then. We'll get the snow and the... God. That. <laughs> just be constantly cold inside the theater. Wearing a sweater. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's move on from that. Let's get away from that. Let's get to our main film review for Wonder Woman. No one else will defend the world, then I must. Welcome to jolly old London. It's hideous. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Sit back. Or maybe not. Is there anything else you want to show me? Diana of Themyscira, daughter of Hippolyta. In the name of all that is good, your wrath upon this world is over. That should have been some of the trailer for Wonder Woman. Here is the latest of what the DCEU has to offer. Wonder Woman is the fourth entry in DC's cinematic universe that has so far given us such hits as Batman v Superman, Colin Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad. For this adaptation of the other major member of DC's Trinity, the idea was to apparently take a few pages out of the familiar origin story guidebook and bring things back to basics. Gal Gadot stars as Diana, a Amazonian and not American princess living on the island, the hidden island of Thermoskira. Uh, the sudden arrival of a man, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, alerts Diana or Diana uh, and other Amazonians of a great war taking place in the rest of the world. Diana deems it necessary to go to fight this war, as it could be Ares, god of war, who's behind all the chaos. Uh, from there, 
Diana travels with Steve to show what a wonder a woman can be on the battlefield. Todd, where have you been with the DC cobbled together universe so far? Um, I've been as absent as possible, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I find, I mean, like, you know, I saw Man of Steel and actually, you know, I mean, I was kind of in for its super, uh, like steroid injected, um, Terrence Malick, uh, trailer, you know, that was something that I actually was pretty excited about. And then I thought the movie was not great. And then Batman, uh, versus Superman only to me underscored the fact that I felt like they didn't, un- they do not understand Superman as a character. And, and I think that's a big problem. Um, <clears throat> because, um, what it's done is in a, in a good and bad way is that it's, it's created, uh, like a, a sort of black hole in the middle where, where sort of the moral center of that universe should be, which is, uh, which is, uh, what they ended up, filling with wonder woman which i think is actually a fantastic choice but i mean you have uh but i i didn't really like the movie i I didn't like the earlier movies too much and suicide squad i thought was terrible um and so i had some uh, i didn't have necessarily trepidations about wonder woman but i was you know hoping against hope that this would have more of a sense of humor and and a little more um brightness not even visually as much as sort of just sort of uh tonally uh and i think that it does so it's so a general thoughts on wonder woman then uh well i you know i really like the movie um you know i think that my 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 you know one of the things that i've actually really been excited about you were talking about like it would how much of a bummer it might be if the movie didn't do well this weekend um but the thing is that like i was thinking about the fact that i have watched for three days on social media as people as men and women uh, you know, children and adults uh, talk about how much they love Wonder Woman and what it did for them and how it inspired them. And I was kind of like, well, listen, irrespective of how it did monetarily, I was like, there's something really exciting to me about that. Um, you know, but and and I definitely have problems with uh, with Wonder Woman. I mean, really, like once it becomes CGI people throwing stuff at each other, which it does in the third act uh, or in the last. 30 minutes of it i kind of uh tuned out i found i found that to be kind of flat and not altogether that interesting um and i think that there were some some little writing issues that if they had like paired a few things in a more specific way then i think that it would have uh, resonated better but i think that gal gadot does such a great job in that in that role um whether or not she's a great actress, I'm not sure, but like she gives the character the exact right amount of sort of strength and naivete so that it's not dumb or, or, um, you know, uh, just kind of a, uh, like babe in the woods, uh, no pun intended. Um, you know, like I, I think that it's, uh, it's got some really great sequences, some really inspiring moments. I mean, I was, I watched, uh, <laughs> I was sitting there watching like the first, 10 minutes and uh i was sitting with my fiance and i was like i was like i actually said to myself i was like i hope i have a little girl one day that i could show this movie to and and you know as much as i try to be as receptive as possible to movies that have these sort of positive strong female can you hear me yeah yeah i can hear you okay sorry sorry just making sure uh as as much as i um try to be receptive to movies that have like these sort of strong female, uh, complicated, interesting characters. Like, you know, just having one that is so, um, overwhelmingly positive and, 
and sort of exciting just to see that. And, and the fact that it is so unfortunately unique is, uh, is I think worth championing and, and celebrating, uh, in this case, again, even though, um, it has some problems, which I would also be more than happy to <laughs> delve into. Well, we'll get, we'll get there. Um, sure. Scott, I'm already aware. And I think the listeners are aware of, your thoughts on a number of these films you've been on for you were on for our batman v superman episode you were probably on for our man of steel episode i was um, and um we all hated suicide squad i don't think we need to go too yeah, far into no, this please don't. but you you have been one to try to champion what wb's been Prime. doing to an extent uh, you fe- you found ways to find kind of you know diamonds in the rough here and there no i mean the man of steel i think the first you know it's funny i feel the same way literally about all three of well Suicide Squad's its own disaster. I must, you know, that's when I do the marathon, I probably won't even watch that one. Um, but you know, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman. The weird thing is that all three films, they're basically, I would argue, more two act plays versus you know conventional three act narratives. And that's fine. That's not a criticism. But in all three cases, I find the first half of each film to be significantly stronger than the second half. Um. You know, it's it almost, you know, I remember with Man of Steel, you know, literally the movie starts being lousy the second the alien lady says, you, Lois Lane, we want you on our ship. And you're like, why? That's stupid. And then the rest of the movie follows from that point. Uh, with Batman v Superman, the second the, the Capitol building blows up, which is a terrific sequence. It's, yep. And then there's really very little fallout of that. Then the movie starts to stink from that point onward. Um so I think the films are not as good at paying off what they set up because they have the pressure to deliver a certain amount of earth-shaking, razzle-dazzle action finale. Um, especially with Batman v Superman, which is right there in the title. They eventually have to fight. Um, but this one, I think by default, was better at finishing what it started. Um, I still have major problems with the third act. In terms of plotting, I think a lot of what happens after the big second act action scene is kind of jogging in place. You know, it's it's, it's a situation where characters are doing things and they may know why they're doing it. But for us, we're like, okay, well, where's this going? uh, You know, I'm going to be as vague as possible here. There's a scene where characters attend a party and there really is no reason, concrete reason for them to attend that party. And nothing happens at that party of consequence. And then you're sort of jogging in place, jogging in place. And, okay, here you go to the action finale. Um, but I think the first half of the film is fantastic. The stuff on Themyscira is very good. It's very straightforward. It's very mythic without being overly pretentious. The action sequence that, that more or less ends that, that, that act is phenomenal. It was mostly kept out of the trailers. Good on them for that. Um, the big action sequence of the second act, which everyone online is talking about, it is not only a terrific action sequence, it's a very unusual action sequence in that the focus is less on killing the bad guy than saving civilians, which you think would be a more common thing in superhero movies. But that's not always the case. Um, and, you know, another positive example of that is the scene in Iron Man 3 where he has to, you know, do the barrel of monkey sequence out of the plane. Um, I think, you know, it, it's, as 
naughty as the film is, way too long. I mean, you know, Patty Jenkins has said in interviews that there will be no deleted scenes. That does not surprise me. There are times where it feels like an assembly cut, frankly, in terms of the pacing, in terms of scenes starting early and ending late. There's a lot of dead air during certain dialogue scenes. But it is funny. It is entertaining. Gal Gadot is fantastic in the lead role. Um, you know, it fits like a glove. Um, again, I don't know if this is a case of, you know, Christopher Reeve just being perfect for Superman and then struggling at other stuff for the rest of his career, or whether it's a, you know, Hugh Jackman is a Wolverine situation where, you know, she really is that good. And she's going to have a long, serious career and a bunch of other stuff. Hmm. Um, I will say that she was fine in Keeping Up with the Joneses. Um, not a great movie, but... Oh, John Hamm? Had... Yes. Okay. Uh, that's a film that I think the first half stinks. The second half is actually pretty good. Um, but to me, whatever my issues with the film, it works because it gives us a great Wonder Woman. So now the DC Universe has a definitive Wonder Woman. And what that means is that for the first time, they have a character... Where audience want to see not just, oh, it's Wonder Woman. They want to see Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. And that's really important. Because hmm. that's what the key to the Marvel Universe is. People just don't don't go to see Thor. They go to see Chris Hemsworth as Thor. They go to see Chris Evans as Captain America. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Um, and that's what makes the team-ups and the, the, the crossover payoffs so enriching. Is that it's not just generic superhero team with generic superhero it's these specific versions of these iconic characters mingling together and up to this point they really haven't had that and that's what wonder woman gives them it also gives them if they choose the option of making wonder woman the centerpiece of the dc universe and i think you're going to start seeing that to be honest Hmm. um you know i i've joked about this online elsewhere but you know we're gonna, I think we're going to see a lot of tacked-on action sequences with Wonder Woman being cool in Justice League that would not have been there had this film not as been well-received. It was sort of a you know, Legolas in Return of the King type situation where after he kicked ass in two towers, became a fan favorite, they had you know, lots of extra Legolas stuff. The film works. The film is good. Um, I don't think it's a classic. I think the pacing is a problem. And I think the third act is wonky. But I think it's, it's as good as it needed to be. I think it's formed by giving the DC Universe a definitive Wonder Woman. And in the broad scheme of things, the fact that they pulled this off basically justifies everything the DCEU has done up to this point, good and bad. It was all worth it because we got a kick-ass Wonder Woman movie that everybody loves. All right. We'll get back to... We'll definitely get into uh, those topics, yeah. Uh, Abe, I know it's been basically a sliding scale for you as far as the DC movies go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if they've, if they've been crazy. I, I, I don't think anyone has been crazy good, and I don't know if I've really thought that anyone was like, besides uh, Suicide Squad, I don't, I don't think that there was like all trash, because we've talked about some of the merits of DC versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just the way that they use color and also probably some of the, the scoring and whatever else. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, what was your question? Basically just saying, I, I know you've, kind of like them less and less as they've gone on. I, I, I understand that <laughs> Suicide true. Squad is certainly on a, you know, there's a giant cliff and then you get to the bottom and there's Suicide Squad, but it's certainly been a uh-huh. diminishing return scenario given these new ones. So now yeah, I'm curious, been. I'm curious now with, you know, Wonder Woman, what do you, you think here? Is it, has it risen back up? 
it, in short, yes, it has, and it's it's sound, it's uh, similar to what Todd was saying, which is just um, I kind of went in with zero expectations, and even when these reviews were when the embargo was released and we were reading all this stuff, I still tried to temper my expectations and and go in with a pretty open mind, um, regardless of what I had felt about the previous DC Universe movies and. Uh, regardless of what uh, positive praise or negative praise people were were uh, throwing its way, um, here's also just a tidbit of how little I know about Wonder Woman. When she kept on saying "I am Diana of the Mascara," I, I kept on thinking that she was saying "I am Diana," like of Mascara. I thought Mascara was the name of where she was from, but I looked it up later, and the entire island is called the Mascara or the Mascara. So that's how little I know about Wonder Woman, because I'm more of a Marvel guy growing up. But that being said, I thought that Wonder Woman was solid. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's really it, it kind of boggles my mind just how how different these movies can be from style and also from the way that they were able to basically narrow it down to make it a much more closed movie. With that being said, I mean just the comparison of this and you take um, uh, what is it, uh, Batman vs Superman. And I know that one's already kind of involving two characters, but that movie, the longer that Batman vs. Superman went on, the more I thought, why are they just jamming everything into this movie? It just, it feels like it's too much for a movie that didn't really have a great payoff anyway. So with Wonder Woman, I, I mean, it's weird because I, I strangely got emotional in the first like 10 minutes of this movie, not because um, it was awesome what I was seeing on the screen. Yeah, that's true, but it's just more that, oh, wow, this is, um, it's kind of very empowering, kind of what Todd was saying. You know, if, if my nieces lived near me, I'd be like, no, let's go. We're going to go and see Wonder Woman now, and I don't care if you guys go and beat up uh, 20 guys on the way home. I, I I'm gladly will join you, uh, especially if they're doing bad bad deeds. But uh, I agree with... <laughs> but you'll, you'll still join them if they're doing I'll still join them, deeds. yeah, definitely. You know, I've got to lead by example, so i got to be a good uncle. Uh, with that being said, I agree with uh, what Todd and, and Scott are saying, some of the pacing issues and some of like the third act stuff. So it's not a perfect movie, but I thought that it was really good. I kept on being reminded of Captain America, the first Avenger, and kind yes. of uh, thinking about the way that that movie was set up and the way that it, it, like to Scott's point, it set up the rest of the Marvel franchise in such a way that you actually want to see Chris Evans as Captain America. So I do want to see Gal Gadot as uh, Wonder Woman. I do want to see Sally Jenkins direct another Wonder Woman, which is Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. I'm sorry. So you know, it's been greenlit for Wonder Woman too, and I, I am curious now about where it takes the rest of the DC Entertainment Universe. I mean, there's all these like jokes on the internet right now, just saying like, oh well, you know, these movies, it's not going to be a Wonder Woman, and I maybe that's true. I hope that it's not, but this is definitely kind of been a palate cleanser for me uh, in regards to the DC Entertainment Universe. Um, again, there, it's not flawless. I thought that the fish out of water story was great with uh, Wonder Woman, um, but there was like some weird character turns, and also, yeah, the dialogue doesn't really hold up in some of the scenes. Uh, with all that being said, though, I would definitely go see it again. Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with you guys. I think the movie is quite good. It, it works for what it's trying to do. It's a great way to say, hey, we, we really messed up on some of those other ones before this, and we can really make something different here. Um, yeah. Uh, just thinking about the the misdirect the, the the problems there went on with Suicide Squad among others. I mean, it it's just it's nice to get something that's just simple again. Uh, Wonder Woman, it's not you know it's not going for anything kind of unique as far as its story is concerned. It is I mean we mentioned Captain America: The First Avenger a few times here, and that's because it makes perfect sense. This movie does really have a lot in common with that one and Thor for that matter. It's like rolling those two together as far as having a fantastical character coming from some other random place and 
matching their kind of hope and earnestness in a in a war setting. I mean, it, it, but, it, you know, it, it takes those aspects and it makes its own movie work quite well. Um, I agree that Gadot is is very good as the Wonder Woman character, both as Wonder Woman and as Diana, just a, a woman that's now in this world and finding it out for the first time. Um, she's great with uh, Chris Pine, who is also really good in this movie. I would argue he's probably as best he's been in a kind of big budget uh, blockbuster movie. Um, and the the work done to make this world come alive, I think, is solid. I mean, it, it it's not necessarily aping what Zack Snyder's kind of set as a a tone for this universe, but it, you know, it has more than a few things in common. And I think it works well, and for you know, the most part, I think in the as it gets to the World War One setting. Um, you, you see, a, you see a number of things there that I, I think are well done as far as handling the period aesthetic, as well, and you know, creating action that's kind of fun to watch and what have you. I mean, we talked about that, Scott. You mentioned that major action sequence at the basically at the halfway mark, which is which is a highlight of the film. No man's land. Yes, the no man's land scene. Um, and yeah, I mean, it has the the, the third act problems are there. I mean, the the foe that Wonder Woman has to battle against, it becomes redundant as far as the action you're seeing. But I will give it credit for, I mean, the writing. I think there there is some strong writing here as far as what this character learns and what that what those things mean to her and how they pay that off. Which I think is what overall made me like this movie more than more than I thought I would, and both and more than I did after first seeing it. After I kind of started thinking about it and writing about it, I, I think the the issues that it, that come up in the third act, I think, are taken down by just how much I was appreciating where the film was, tra- what message the film was trying to send, which is what I really like about First Avenger as well. I think they're 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 very similar characters if you look at Wonder Woman and Captain America beyond obvious differences, um, but it, but in terms of kind of who they are inside, uh, what their hearts say and what they what speaks to what they're trying to accomplish and what have you. There's that's the kind of strength that I like seeing in superhero movies, and that you can say that for Christopher Reeve as well in the first Superman movie. Um, I, I think there's, especially now, I think there's a lot to speak to say when you can get a movie that you know may play it safe as far as what kind of plot you're given, but you know in terms of inner strength of a character working through all kinds of intensity and struggles and against those that are less willing to do what's right. I, I think there's there's a lot to take away from that kind of character that has that kind of strength inside them and wants to get that across. Uh, it only helps that you get, you know, a, a fairly entertaining movie. This movie is way less bleak and better looking um, than the, the muddy visuals of Suicide Squad and the kind of starkness of Batman v Superman, regardless of how many clever lines Jesse Eisenberg and Holly Hunter were able to spring back and forth at each other. I think there's a lot... <laughs> I totally shipped them. <laughs> There's a lot in Wonder Woman where you're just like, this is just fun to watch. I'm not in a World War One movie, no less the, the the ugliest war. Like this movie has, you have a good time watching it. Yeah, I think that part of that comes from the supporting cast. As I said, Pine is quite good, but you also you you have Ewan Bremner, uh, Lucy Davis from the Office shows up here. You have just That's a right. lot of people here uh, that just help you know round out this film. Um, the the thermoscaris the the thermoscaire stuff at the beginning also quite good i it you know it, it sets a tone it gives you an idea of where diana comes from um it, it i'll be curious where things go in future films if we see some of these characters again but i do think you kind of underuse 
one character in particular, but I mean, so the, the, the presence of this world, I was intrigued by it and be like, what, what, how does this, it, it, oh, but we're going to talk about cars in a few weeks and it, it's the kind of same logic, like, well, how does this work? Like, how, <laughs> like, <laughs> how do baby cars come I had, about? I, I had, I had those sort of questions with this world of the Amazonians and I, I guess that just speaks well to where things could go in a sequel because I mean, if you look at this in the same way you look at Batman Begins, you know, it's fun to get the origin story out of the way, but the, the, the challenge then comes with like, what do you do next with these characters? You've already got the main story across of where they come from. So what do you do now? What do you, what, what else can challenge this person? And, which also speaks to another thing I like about the character of Wonder Woman in this movie. The, the threat that she faces is not about, you know, her strength because she's invulnerable. So this movie kind of has to answer that question of, well, how do you, how do you tackle a character that just can't, you know, like much like Superman, although he has a very key weakness, Wonder Woman, you know, how do you, what do you do to challenge her? And I think there's, a, again, a strength in the scripting of this movie is finding that finding that answer. And I think mm-hmm. this movie does a good job of doing that. Yeah. Chris Pine really does some remarkably good work here in that, you know, he knows whose movie it is. At no point is he trying to steal the show. You know, it's a very delicate balance. It's the kind of thing that points out how much fun conventional leading man actors can have when they take a part in a movie like this. You know, this is, you know, he's, he's more fun here than he is as a conventional leading man in something like, you know, Star Trek or Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, uh, uh, this means war. Or even, you know, Hell or High Water, which is, you know, night and day, apples and oranges. But, you know. I, mean, I, I, I don't want to turn this entirely into a Chris Pine talk about Wonder Woman, but I do think he, I think that's been proven throughout his career. I think he's, yes. I mean, obviously Star Trek has worked out for him, but I mean, Star Trek, you cast anybody as Kirk, and they, they, yeah. as long as they do a, a marginal job, it's going to be a success to some degree. But I think Pine, he's, he is very good in these off-kilter roles, something like Smoke and Aces or Stretch, mm-hmm. those Joe Carnahan films. My, uh, <clears throat> Name is Captain Steve Trevor, pilot, American Expeditionary Forces, serial number 8141921. That's all I'm at liberty to. Assigned to British intelligence. What the hell is this thing? The lasso of Hestia compels you to reveal the truth. That is really hot. What is your mission? Whoever you are. You are in more danger than you think. What is your mission? I am a... I am a spy! I'm a spy. I'm a spy. Or, I mean, even Hell or High Water, I think it's... Even if he's the lead, I still think it's different for him. I mean, it's yes. not... It's, it's, a, it's a less familiar role for, for that, for the actor. No, I just... You know, you always hear these stories about... And, you know, I'm going off conjecture and, and hearsay and what have you. Oh, you know, it was hard to get a male lead for this female-driven action movie or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and it's, I would like to think that seeing how good Chris Pine is in this film, what a boost he's going to get off this film, would lead more actors of his ilk to say, that seems like something I might want to do. That would be fun for me. But, yeah, you know, obviously getting back to, you know, everyone else, you know, uh, I thought Danny Houston was fun. You know, it's obviously a pretty one-note role. You know, he has one. Him and uh, Dr. Poison, whose name escapes me. Uh, Alina and Naya. They have one great, great bit together. You know, it's, it's, my, 
What was it, that? It, it's my favorite laugh out loud moment of the year so far. It's a wonderfully nasty little bit. It's completely a character. Um, you know, David Thewlis is very good in his limited screen time. Everybody, everybody takes this very seriously. And even though it's not a star-studded cast, it's a cast full of really good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that before. Frankly, I think Green Lantern had a pretty good cast. That didn't quite work out as well. Um, though Peter Skarsgård sure gave it his all. Um, <laughs> I mean that. I think he's terrific in that film. Yeah, so I would, uh, agree. I would agree. I love how they didn't basically they didn't pick a side in the war. That's where you get why World War One is a far more interesting choice than World War Two because there's you know total shades of gray. There's no you know the righteous Allied powered and the absolutely evil Axis powered. World War One was, you know, simplification alert. You know, basically, you know, a bar fight that got turned into a giant global conflict because everybody, you know, picked sides. Um, and it's a perfect setting for this particular story of of Diana potentially, no spoilers, being disillusioned with the world of man. You know, the film does a good job of presenting the horrors of war without wallowing in, in carnage and violence. It is a violent picture. There are scenes of, of of violence and carnage and what have you, it's something you can take your kids to without much of a problem. Honestly, the biggest problem I had with it in terms of my daughter is that the third act was so choppy that she got confused. I don't blame her, mm-hmm. frankly. <laughs> you know, the film is very long. It feels it does feel a lot like Captain America. I mean, my you know my feeling about it is uh, I agree uh, that it is she is and it is the Captain America of the DC universe, and I think that actually is a very good thing. Because again, I feel like the DC universe needed sort of a moral center to it, and, and an emotional center, quite frankly. Um, and I think that uh, the way that they create this character does an exceptionally good job of of filling that role of being a person who has a hopeful and a very um, sort of optimistic view of humanity. Um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to do some of the press for the, when the movie came out and, and, you know, one of the things Patty Jenkins talked about was the fact that, you know, it's a person who is trained to be a hero who learns what it actually means to be a hero. And I think that's actually a pretty, like, uh, very effective encapsulation of like sort of the journey she goes on. It is about this person who has a very optimistic and hopeful view of humanity and who, who wants to impart and bring positivity and love into the world and learns that the world is not going to acquiesce into sort of very cleanly divided lines between like love and hate, good and evil. Um, and I think that um, the way that that unfolds is not always consistently effective. Right. Uh, and I think, for example, there is a moment of sacrifice at the end of the movie that I think should have been more of a pivot of her having an epiphany about humanity and they sort of delay it for like another five minutes or something like that and i feel like that was kind of like a missed opportunity and you know i i just feel like um also one of the things that i really would have liked to see more of um uh is they they spend more time in themyscira um you know i uh was i know that uh the original superman was a huge influence on patty jenkins personally and cinematically as she was developing this movie and the original Superman, the first hour of that movie is just him growing up, 
him finally discovering who he is and becoming Superman. And he look and he arrives in Metropolis, I think like almost exactly at the hour mark of that movie. Mm-hmm. And I understand that they had a bigger story or maybe a, a longer story to tell in the wonder woman that they did not want to spend that much time. But like, you know, it's like they kind of hustle through her training in a way, which is not to say that I don't feel like she was convincingly strong as much as it was like, I would just love to see her sort of struggling to understand that these two incredibly powerful, strong women who are sort of battling with their own philosophical views of the world are, are trying to figure out the best way to bring this young woman up in their world. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think that the, the no man's land sequence is, is pretty, pretty breathtaking. I mean, it's, it's remarkable and it's in- inspiring. And, and I would agree with, uh, with Scott that, that I think, um, Chris Pine is, is extremely well uh, cast. And I think that he is really good at basically sort of pretending to try to reason with this person who is so um, passionate and, 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 uh, and determined that he kind of just throws his hands up in every scene. I mean, I do think (laughs) that it has real Pepper and Tracy kind of energy because like there's like, there has to be at least three or four scenes where she's like, we have to go over here right now. And he's like, well, the best way to get over there is to do. And she's like, no, we have to go right there right now. And they just keep arguing until finally he goes, all right, we'll go. Please slow down. That's your leader. How could he say that? Believe that? And, and you, with your duty to simply give them a book, no. you didn't stand your ground, you, you didn't fight. Because there was no chance of changing his mind. This is Ares, and he's not going to allow a negotiation or a surrender. The millions of people you talked about, they will die. We are Might going we... anyway. You mean you were lying? I'm a spy, that's what I do. How do I know you're not lying to me right now? I am taking you to the front. We are probably going to die. This is a terrible idea. We're going to need reinforcements. And and I and, but they managed to do that in a way that's not. And I say this not uh, in a like a like a sexist way, but like it's it's not a shrill argument between the two of them, and it's not it doesn't feel like forced chemistry. It feels like the banter of two people who are getting acclimated to who the other one is. And, and especially in his case, him as a character understanding that like, she is just not going to be deterred and it's better to try to back her up and help her make that happen rather than trying to reason with her that, you know, there's going to be some nuance or some amount of bureaucracy that will semi accomplish the thing that she basically can do by jumping up there and, you know, smashing through a wall. Right. And actually what I liked about that a lot is just that, um, Again, you've given this premise that she has to go and fight Ares or find Ares, the god of war, and that that opening sequence where it's kind of like Socrates' paintings coming to life, that, that's actually really cool to see. Um, but I kept on wondering about that as I was watching this movie. How are they going to go and show this Ares guy? I mean, there's no, there are no gods here on Earth that uh, are from Greek or Roman mythology, so... I don't know when is somebody going to tell her that that what she's looking for doesn't exist. And I actually like the way that they incorporated, sure, the Aries element, but just what you guys are all getting to, which is the nature of man and whether one person is good or bad um, and kind of what this, the whole entire war is. I, I actually really like the way that they subtly and obviously not so subtly told you that 
things are gray. Um, I actually do have a question for you guys as well. Um, we've been talking about the Mascara, and I guess I do like the Mascara, and I like the way that Connie Nielsen is portraying like the way that man is and the way that she understands man, just like, hey, it's a, it's a huge sorrow and loss for us. So my question is just where where else can they take ideas or I guess what what else can they do on the mascara? I mean, uh, I'm very curious about your take because I don't have that much knowledge about the one woman world. Well, I admit that I I don't either. Um, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with her sort of full backstory or at least mm-hmm. you know sort of many parts that were in the movie. But you know, I I do think what's kind of interesting and maybe in a way they kind of like painted themselves into a little bit of a corner was that they have this sort of like you know, force field bubble that protects them from people knowing where they are. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, I thought it was actually, it would have been more interesting if it had just been Chris Pine's plane crashes into the water. She saves him. But then there also had to be, I mean, like I like the idea of these women. I mean, my fiance, as we were watching it, she was like, I could watch these women just beat the shit out of men for two hours. I could watch that yeah. easy. Yeah. And you know, and that action scene is fantastic. But to me, it feels like what they've done is they've kind of opened themselves up to a thing where it's like, well, they did. Did they kill every one of them other than Chris Pine? Because in that case, it feels like the other ships that were in pursuit were fairly likely going to, like, wander into their airspace. And, you know, I don't know that there needs to be a battle for Themyscira. Um, and I don't think that actually would be that interesting other than, again, to watch these incredibly strong women beat the shit out of men. <laughs> but But I do think, like, I think that, I think that what we may have run into, and and certainly by virtue of the fact that there is this framing device that returns to the present day with with uh, Diana, is that it kind of eliminates the need to return to that world. And actually, I think the idea of her sort of juggling sort of the ideals that she has been raised on and then re-engaging those with the world, be it via her training or just sort of the philosophical foundations of her childhood and her and that community i think could actually be a pretty consistent foundation for like a future movies in the same way that i feel like um you know captain america is a great example of a character who in my opinion and even as a person who has actually liked all those movies like he's kind of had the same uh philosophical quandary in every movie which is like oh what's better this or that you know i don't know i have this belief and so you know it's like testing those beliefs and finding new ways to test those in different scenarios, I feel like is, is where they at least maybe should take the character, whether or not they do. I mean, I, I think if they make Tyler Perry's Wonder Woman's family reunion, that'd be a good, good rife <laughs> comedy right there. I agree. I agree. Uh, you, I, you're, but, talking to, you're talking to Tyler Perry's one of his biggest fans. So. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. You're, so. you're pretty excited for Boo too then. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I, like, as soon as I found out about that, I was like, <laughs> so excited. Just when, you say, just when you thought it was safe to go back to the theater. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> but, I, I mean, it's a comic book. I mean, there's sure. surely there is probably inner strife within Themyscira that could lead to another villain emerging, which I'm, I have no doubt probably exists, let alone otherworldly threats that could come in, and like the Amazonians, maybe they're the ones that stopped them the first time and have to stop them again, yeah. which I think is like pretty much the trailer for Justice League right there as far as some ancient battle that we see. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's certainly there's options. I yeah, some sure. of them are more trite than others as far as how to get that world back involved. And well, I, yeah, I, I definitely just like the their mentality of of uh, I wanted to view more of it, and I'm like curious because uh, I keep I think back to Thor and how they kind of 
were able to give you what goes on over in Asgard and what their philosophy is, and then also Thor's over on Earth, so you can see that he's learning from the Earthlings as well. So just curious. What helps with, I always what, what enjoyed helps that. Uh-huh. What, what helps with Asgard is that it's a you know it's the kind of the keeper of all realms, so it like it has to be involved in a lot of things. Where Thermoskira is like, don't find us. Like that's kind of the, <laughs> the nature of that area. So, that's their, but, that's you know, their travel slogan. Sure, but it's it's you know it's funny you say that because other than the fact that I think both of the Thor movies are bad, I mean I think they're like I think the second one is actually exceptionally well directed, but I think that they're both just like really bad, and the first one to me feels really cheap. Uh, I mean, it feels like a little tiny and it, like built up town in the middle of New Mexico, which is, I think, where it might have actually been shot. You know, I mean, like, like those movies to me, actually, I feel like almost don't do that. I mean, like there's the fish out of water element that I think is engaging him throwing down the, the, the mug in the, you know, this diner and all that kind of stuff. It, it caters to the potential of Chris Hemsworth. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But but like to me, you know, it's like. I like the idea. I mean, what actually really excites me about the new Thor is the fact that they're just going to go full in on like how weird that world is right. and how like sort of semi nonsensical it can be, you know, and, and Kirby esque as well, which is a huge thing for me just aesthetically. But, um, but I'm, I don't know. I'm fascinated by, um, the juxtaposition of those two worlds. I know, I mean, I, it's, it's a, it's an interesting problem, but to me, it feels like a, a very, um, uh, a compelling problem to try to solve. Mm-hmm. Speaking of speaking of which, I, I was amused by the kind of uh, you mentioned Ares and everyone gets like, huh? What is what is this woman talking about? But then you get like she's just walking around with like a sword and shield, and they're like, <laughs> hey, that's all right. I guess that adds up. <laughs> it's just like there, there's not too much regard paid to the fact that like, why is this? This leather-clad woman on the battlefield, she seems to be invulnerable to things. Eh, that's probably par for the course. Ares, what? That's crazy. There's some of that going around. <laughs> I think that I think there is that for sure. But actually, I think that's what's I think that's one of the really interesting sort of mysteries of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, not to spoil anything for for listeners, but I mean, Ares does show up eventually, and the idea that like. You're ta- even even in this world that seems ridiculous. Even with women who are the are like this, it seems ridiculous. And so, I actually, I really was fascinated by like sort of watching the movie. I'm like, well, how's that going to play out? Right. Because like Chris Pine is, uh, you know, as a matter of practicality, and and I think at a certain point, like you know, empathy is starting to believe her and support her. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that like there is such a guy. And the truth is that I actually was I was I thought it was going to be pretty interesting if there wasn't a guy, if there wasn't an actual Ares. And that was, again, maybe a, my blind spot in terms of knowing the mythology or the character. But um, but I mean, I was like sort of waiting for a moment where she fights against one guy in the movie who she thinks is the bad guy. And it becomes an anticlimax for her because it's like, oh, this didn't resolve the problems that I thought it did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which I think is a much more interesting philosophical idea that the movie, it, it, it sort of aims towards. And then at the end, it just kind of backs off. Right. Uh, for, for without, again, getting into spoiler territory. I think I it, feel that same way. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my main overall. And I think we can all probably agree. I think my main overall issue is that it just peaks at that no man's land battle. I mean, there's still good parts and I've, I've mentioned them as such. I've, met, I've mentioned that I do 
even though the third act has problematic, I, I've mentioned the fact that I do think the kind of, from a character standpoint, uh, regardless of how it's executed, I do think the what it's going for deserves a level of credit. Uh, sure. like, I mean, because I didn't walk out of the film, you know, not not thinking that this was, you know, a good time as well as one that's like a pot, one worth championing and being positive about. Like it's, you know, it didn't feel make me feel like, well, uh, you know, it doesn't end, doesn't end with Superman dying. Like, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> but the real question is, does he? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert no <laughs> that sand could mean anything though Todd yeah well, no but it doesn't yeah. <laughs> so Miracle Max will fix it right uh, yeah I actually have a question another question for you guys what do you guys think of the bookends of the movie because they were in present day and uh, yeah I thought they were unnecessary as well I, I just I had two problems with them uh-huh. A they're unnecessary the yeah. same way the Captain America bookends are unnecessary and B because of those bookends, you can't watch Wonder Woman first in in the you know the continuity of this DC universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be nice to, if anything, I think it, it potentially. And I don't want to go too up on a limb. Might make Man of Steel and Batman v Superman a little bit better because that's a you know Wonder Woman. I think to a certain extent is a more successful version of what those films are trying to be. Which is that you're taking these iconic characters and putting them in a really horrible real-world situation and seeing how they react. I think the issue with with, with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman is that they presented this horrible, dark, pessimistic <clears throat> real-world world, but also made those characters really, you know, postmodern as well. And you know, comparatively, you have something like Captain America films, you know, like The Winter Soldier, that is just as pessimistic and cynical and, and three days of the Condor-esque as, as you know, the real world, but Captain America himself remains an overly idealistic superhero. And there's nothing even Wonder Woman. You know, it, it, it's as dark and horrible as a World War One story would, should be, but the character of Wonder Woman remains a superhero, and that's a conflict. You have this idealistic character in this incredibly unidealistic situation how does she react to that? Right. Um, I think that, I mean, it, 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 it helps yeah. that that she you know talks all the time and you know exactly where she is as opposed to I don't know yeah. being in a Capitol building and saying absolutely nothing and then flying off and doing nothing about it. I, I, there, you yeah. know, things like that. You know, I get to understand what this character represents as opposed to I don't know the guy that's supposed to stand for truth, justice, and the American way being very stoic about everything. Yes, and the the one you know the one speech he does give contradicts the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, your father did what? I, I tornadoed myself for this. <laughs> I tornadoed. That's exactly no, what Kevin Costner is thinking. No, so I mean, you know, the bookends, you know, they do annoy me because unless, you know, I skip, you know, I hit skip on my DVD player, I can't watch Wonder Woman first. Yeah. And I think there'd be a benefit to watching Wonder Woman first. Well, I, I thought that it just did a movie a disservice similar for what you guys are thinking. Um, because it kind of just makes it meld into the DC universe, right? And it, it standalone movie, it would have been fine as as starting out just in the mascara or with uh, the photo of Chris Hemsworth and the and Wonder Woman and the team. I, I don't really, I didn't feel a need for it to show me a Wayne Man, a Wayne Enterprise Brinks truck and then modern day Paris. 
it's unnecessary, but like I don't think it's detrimental to the movie. It's like two minutes. Like, yeah, it's not detrimental, <laughs> but it really took me out of it when when the movie ended and then you you have to go back to like present day. And I was like, oh well. Well, I would say, I mean, honestly, I think that it is necessary, at least in so far as the fact that audiences, at least some of them, have already seen her on screen in a modern day setting. And so to not see her in that and then just to have this sort of completely anachronistic two hour story, I feel like would be people would be like, well, what the hell happened after that? Well, I mean, if audiences have already seen her, wouldn't they already know this and not need those scenes? I mean, maybe. Well, the th- I mean, the thing actually, the thing to me that makes if, if anything makes those sequences unnecessary, it's that it's a they are treading the idea that she is trying to recover this photograph for this purpose and that it underscores a romantic relationship that I feel like is not explored successfully in this movie, which I don't think that it is. Yep. Then then that to me, like sort of undermines like sort of the larger point of the movie, which is like. You know, I mean, she sort of claims at one point that it's like, oh, this reminds me of this lesson that I learned. But to me, like, it unfortunately, like, has the end result of going like, oh, I wanted this keepsake from this this same sort of Agent Carter-ish relationship that I under that I embarked on. Isn't the idea idea also that she's trying to hide herself? Yeah, which to me I think is is such a silly thing because in the because in Batman vs Superman there is a digital file of it, so I think that's sort of a <laughs> absurd. Yeah, but it's like it a super secret like, digital file of yeah, it. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> sure super secret, but it's got her logo on there with all these like closed circuit television videos because Lex Luthor is a well, yeah, really uh, weird yeah, voyeur yeah. guy. Well, yeah, Lex Luthor and his band of you know, marketers, they've created a whole ad campaign around these already. People. So like, there's like, there's like 20 people that know. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, let me ask we you guys, know. let me ask you guys about this. Uh, we kind of talked about it earlier on all female screening and whatever else. Like, is this controversy even worth it? Cause I don't think it no. is. I think it's all ridiculous. It's not, no. it's not a controversy. <laughs> That's, no. It's it's a handful I mean, of the internet and the media all jumping on it because that's how the media works these yeah. days where, when you have literally unlimited ink space, everything becomes a story. And the problem is, you're giving these, you know, literally, you're giving these trolls a national spotlight. You're validating them. And you think we'd learn the last time we did that, look who our president is now. You know, an internet troll. Because the media realized, hey, if we turn everything this guy says into news, yay, clicks. But at what cost? Um, I mean, you know. Be curious. It's no different from the whole boycott episode seven thing that turned out to be a total scam. You know, I mean, like I would say that I, you know, I, I sort of asked this question rhetorically on social media the other day, really without having any sort of answer in mind, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of like, at what level are these things actual, actually worth uh, writing about? And I mean, like, you know, the idea of it happening to me, I think it's certainly worth championing. I think it's exciting. I think it's actually I think it's wonderful that the that the draft house's response to the initial criticisms was to add more screenings. Right. Like, as a fuck you to these idiots, you know, I mean, like and I think but but in my head, there's sort of for me, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like we have to have a like there has to be a finite number of stories or a finite amount of writing. And then we all have to like mutually agree just never to acknowledge these dipshits again. And like, you know, which I feel like happens a lot. I mean, you're talking about the episode seven thing. I think you're totally, it's a, it's a good 
similar, a good analogous situation. Um, you know, I mean, like the fact that there is now uh, like a lawyer who says that it is discriminatory and that that is illegal. Um, and so therefore is filing some sort of petition or some sort of legal brief, some sort of legal filing to me Mm -hmm. is, you know, like it's a thing where I'm just like, is this, this, it, it sort of hits that line. It's like, what are we doing with this? What, like how long do we pay attention to this and why? Um, but ultimately, I mean, really, it's like if it just it's if it makes uh, insecure men unhappy and we can talk about it more to further humiliate them, then I am all for that. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. With that, any other thoughts on the actual film? <laughs> um, I think the film is good enough and popular enough. And crowd pleasing enough that they've basically bought themselves a mulligan with Justice League, because you know, you know, worst case scenario ball here. Justice League comes out in November. It's a piece of crap. All Warner Brothers has to say is, "Look, Warner Brothers is the face. Your Wonder Woman is the face of the new DCU. Aquaman's gonna be the face of the new DCU. Justice League, okay, fine. We we had to, you know, sorry about Snyder." We didn't have time to take them off after BBS, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But Wonder Woman and Aquaman, that's what you're going to be seeing from in the near future. So if you like those, don't worry about Justice League. Yeah, I mean, I'd say go see it. I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm definitely planning on taking, I'm, I'm in the Big Brother program, and I one of the things that my me and my little brother do regularly is I take him to see all the superhero movies. He's 13 now. So he, you know, it's like, uh, and I certainly will be taking him to see it. Um, and I am happy to, to pay to go watch it again. Right. Uh, like after, you know, I mean, there's sometimes I'll, I'll see something as a press screening and I'll be like, like I, suicide squad is a great example. Uh, you know, I went to see the press screening and I'm like, suicide squad is friggin' terrible. <laughs> and then, and then the next weekend when I hung out with my little brother, I was like, Oh God, I gotta take this. I gotta take him to see this. And I was like, he was like, it was fine. I mean, he he wasn't too excited about it or whatever. But I was like, but this is a movie that I'm really excited to 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 see and to encourage other people to see. And again, like really, it, it completely unrelated to my own experience of it. I'm I'm incredibly gratified uh, or or just sort of enjoying watching this sort of deluge of positivity come out of the experience of seeing this movie for so many women and like little kids and, and, you know, and it has, I don't think, I mean, it has for women has to do something with the fact that this is the first female superhero who has really had her own movie in, in the, in the modern era. And, and I think that it is, uh, but it's, but it's such a, it is, as we have said to encapsulate it, you know, it's like, it has such a hopeful, positive, um, uh, goal to it and, and, and ambition and i think that that that's something that like we just don't get enough of i mean like you know it's like i mean it, that, that that might be parsed in the captain america movies but but like here it feels pretty pure and it and it is the thing that drives the plot of the movie it's not just an undercurrent in like a larger story that they're trying to weave into an enormous mythical comic book tapestry. It's like the point of this is about a character who loves humanity, who believes in humanity and the best and, and encourages and wants to see the best from everyone. And I feel like that's like such a amazing 
message. Not that I think that it is belabored in the movie that, uh, that I think that it, it deserves all of the, the success that it can get and, and more. There you go. And so nothing think, else needs to be said. I, well, I think, Podcast I think over. I think we're all in a, uh, a see it zone as far as, uh, <laughs> thoughts, uh, thoughts on, you know, when people should go see this movie. I think, yeah, Definitely. check it out for sure. Yeah. Um, if you were, regardless of being into superhero movies, I think it's just, you know, it's a, it's an entertaining summer film that, uh, yeah, works on a number of I movies. agree. By the way, Todd, I was, I was, uh, at first I was worried that you said you were in the big brother program and I was like, why would he be spying on us? And then you clarified, and I was much happier. So I was I like, okay. Anyone thinks that whenever anyone says Big Brother, yeah. I don't think anyone. I was like, like I don't know if I can trust Todd anymore. <laughs> I'm in the it's 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 the 1984 program. I am. Oh, in, okay. So. He's a little Orwellian height. Yeah. They have a baseball team. It's great. Um, let's. Uh, I think they're undefeated right now. Let's move on, guys. Let's get to, let's real quick get to our sponsors. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Why? Audible Cosmos. That feedback. Okay, it's back. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks for your iPhone, Android, Zune, or any kind of MP3 device. <laughs> Additionally, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash out now podcast. Choose a book to download for free and start listening. It's just that easy. Be a winner and read <laughs> or listen at audibletrial.com slash out now podcast. All right, let's get to some feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com. We asked you guys a number of questions out there, and you were able to uh, give us some answers. Then you guys asked us some questions, so we'll give you some answers. Yeah, Todd uh, Scott, uh, Todd, Scott. feel free to uh, throw in your feedback. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. First question we asked everybody, who are your favorite female superhero – I'm sorry, favorite female action hero movies? What? <laughs> who are your favorite female action movie heroes? Sorry, my dyslexia kicked in. Uh, Jay writes, the T-Rex and Velociraptor teaming up to save the day in Jurassic World, which is a very clever answer because all the dinosaurs are female. Wah, wah. <laughs> Manish has, I feel like a broken record, but The Bride. And lastly, Dennis has Ripley. Um, I'm quite fond of Anne Hathaway's and Michelle Pfeiffer's The Catwoman. That's a good answer. Scott. Huh? It's it's Michelle Puffeifer, okay? <laughs> He's Aaron. This is Aaron's joke, and he is gonna, gonna going to work it into yeah, every minute. Of this it's it's going to be everywhere. <laughs> Michelle Puffeifer. Not, not to be boring, but you know Gal Gadot is fantastic in Wonder Woman. Yeah, she is. That is boring, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. But I definitely echo the the Ripley sentiment. What I like about the Hunger Games pictures is how not stereotypically strong female character a cat is ever deemed turned out to be. In many ways, the, the, the four-part film that the book got, you know, turned out to be very much a commentary on that cat broke. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I love uh, Furiosa. It's good. I mean, like, it's a great answer. I just, every day I see the, I mean, without fail, someone will retweet into my uh, Twitter feed. The, the little image of Furiosa's screaming indistinctly as she looks out the window of the wig, and I'm like, I'm like, that's how I was like, I I feel you, I feel you. That's how I feel every time. <laughs> I feel you too. Yeah. Aaron, do you have any uh, favorite uh, female action heroes? I like Oh the Bride. That, okay. that journey, that journey she goes on, and the the way Tarantino divides that into various parts, I think it uh, works incredibly well. No nonsense. Uh, next question we asked everybody, who are your favorite side characters in the DCU and DC film universe in general? 
Manish has, I think Jag Courtney has a really good mark as a sidekick, <laughs> which is accurate. He's good as a sidekick. He's a sidekick in John in J- in Jack Reacher. No, in the DC films. I know. <laughs> but that, that's probably his best performance outside of Jack Reacher is the DC movie. Uh, Scott is... Scott is you, Manish, you, you did it. You got Forbes writer Scott Mendelson to laugh really, really hard. Yeah, and you got Todd to laugh because he's thinking about Harvey Keitel. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> you did it, Manish. And lastly, Dennis has it has to be Slipknot or Dusex Martha. These are not characters who have yet shown up. Uh, I, I was a big. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was I was very much into um, to Justice League, and I was into like Justice League America, and so characters like Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, I really like. And, uh, you know, if they could work them in somewhere, I think I would really like that. But, uh, but I mean, like, I would just settle for them understanding one of the biggest characters that well enough to get him right on screen. That would, that would actually make me much happier. Um, but yeah, I other thought... than that, I can't think of anybody that I'm, who's, who's already shown up that I have strong feelings about who I feel like is, yeah, uh, Underserved, I guess. I, I thought uh, Jimmy Olsen was pretty hilarious. I was going to say Perry White. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I was like, Perry White's a no-nonsense boss. You can't have first class with whatever she wanted. It's like, no, man, we're on a budget here. So Perry, Perry White's not that no-nonsense. I mean, he's still high. He keeps Clark on the job, and he's terrible at his, at his early report. He also doesn't evacuate anybody as he sees in the distance, like, buildings coming down. He did evacuate. Eventually, he evacuated. Eventually, he did. <laughs> um. I'm actually, I know that's a minority opinion. I think Jesse Eisenberg is wonderful as Lex Luthor and Jack Reacher. Yeah, you are a minority. That's a minority opinion. Incredibly entertaining performance. But in just terms of, in audio, just in terms of films, it depends on what universe we're talking about here, but obviously it's no secret that I think Gary Oldman in the Dark Knight trilogy, specifically the Dark Knight, is yeah. awesome. That's good. I, yeah. I would agree. Is why those films, especially the second one, are as grounded as they are. You're not going to find me disagreeing there because Gary Oldman is my favorite thing about the Dark Knight trilogy, and Gordon, as I mentioned many times, is my favorite character in that universe besides Batman. So I mean, it's he's like UPS. He delivers exactly. And Gordon, my two favorite support characters, and they're both awesome in that movie. Um, I'm also a big Harvey Dent fan, so I mean, well, basically, guys, the Dark Knight's the Dark Knight series. Yeah, the Dark Knight (laughs) trilogy is is pretty good. Go see it if you haven't. Um, let's get to the next question. Uh, who are your favorite not favorite non-action female movie heroes? Uh, so non-action film uh, female movie heroes. Uh, yeah, uh, she's not. Yeah, she's not an action character, so I would say so. Yeah, mm. he gets involved in some things, so she's a cop. But I mean, you know. Uh, but Tyler writes Thelma and Louise. Gene uh, uh, John Michael writes uh, Scarlett O'Hara. Manish writes all three stars of Hidden Figures, but Taraji P Henson especially the way she tried to cope with oppression until she couldn't take it anymore. Uh, she was supremely badass but in a way that Henson rarely gets to play. Inspiring character and great performance. Yeah, good answer. Uh, to, to keep on a on a Tarantino bent, I would throw in Jackie Brown as a favorite. Non-action. Oh yes, indeed. And that's one of my favorite movies. I think uh, the, the the way she commands the screen without you know being involved in action sequences, I think it speaks well to the kind of the presence that uh, Pam Greer brings to performances that Tarantino's are certainly able to tap into as you know in her 
you know old, older than she was when she was in the black exploitation film era. So. Oh, completely, completely. I would say uh, Sanaa Lathan in um, Love and Basketball. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, also, so I like the movie a lot. It's a great movie, but yeah. she she it was like a one of those where I was like, she's awesome and intimidating in a, in a great way. So. Yeah. Double feature that with the wood. Yeah. Um, would you say Chloe Starling is a, a non-action female hero? That's what Scott just asked. Oh, it kind of went in and out, so I wasn't really sure. Uh, yes, that's who he was referring to. Okay, yeah, I would agree with Scott. Original recipe or Julianne Moore? Original recipe. Oh, get please. out of here. Get out <laughs> yeah. of here with that. I, yeah, I was like, you couldn't see it, but I, I kind of just like had to like glare at you a little bit on the on the computer uh, screen. Get out of here, Aaron. <laughs> Let's move to the next question here. Peter and smack you. Next question here: Who should Wonder Woman take on as a villain in future films? Jason writes uh, they could be they could do the Baroness von Gunther, who is a Nazi villain from the comics, if they go World War II route. Uh, Tyler has she'll never be able to stop the full CGI gargantua. <laughs> Jay writes Cheetah. I don't know who will play her though. And finally, Manish has the 45th administration. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's got to be Cheetah. Uh, speaking of which, actually, I, I did not not of uh, Trump, uh, but but just I was thinking about like sort of adversaries, and I, this is actually something I, I had forgotten about from earlier. Is it is interesting to me that they have this character in Danny Houston, who I, he's like my nemesis in terms of movies. Like he's an actor that I just can't stand, but but like <laughs> the idea that he like gets these sort of semi superpowers to make him be able to fight better. Um, and I think that's like a really funny and kind of silly workaround for the fact that like under any other normal circumstances, she would just break him in half and then be done with it. Um, and I was, and I was thinking about that. I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in the movie. It's not, I don't know that I, it matters, but it was just something that I was thinking about. I was like, it's like, well, we have a guy who's the villain and the only way he can even remotely fight against her is to have like cocaine energy or whatever it is that he kept sniffing that made him strong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh because i was just like I, because like every time i thought about him in the movie like as, as it was starting i was like well if this is the bad guy i'm like she's gonna walk in the room and she's gonna rip his face off and then the movie's gonna go <laughs> uh, i can warn you the same thing too i didn't yeah. even see the red hair yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway it was just a thought yeah one of the things i was actually concerned about you know before i saw the movie was you know the idea of are we going to be basically watching wonder woman Using these amazing superpowers to slice and dice a bunch of hapless World War One soldiers, uh, and to their credit, they 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 did find a way to work around that. Where a she didn't kill that many people, but she did when you know required. But also that that wasn't her goal. She was yes, trying yes. to you know stop the artillery and what have you. So it was basically a matter of get from A to B, and basically knock over wherever you need to knock over on the way. Although going back to our Logan conversation, she does stab a lot of guys through the face. So I mean, that was a <laughs> yeah. that was the thing I didn't really like about Wonder Woman. So, <laughs> all right, our next question: uh, What are your favorite Robin Wright roles? Uh, Philip writes she didn't get a lot to do, but I really liked her a lot in Unbreakable. Uh, Unbreakable. Uh, Manish writes she's the kind of actor who's so supremely good in every role and can own, own small parts like in Moneyball and State of Play. Hard to pick one. Um, Dennis writes, 
uh, House of Cards and Sentimentally Buttercup from uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, Jason writes, she is amazing in House of Cards. And Brandon Peters writes, The Congress, which I agree with. Which I, I, yeah, that's, yeah. What I was, Congress, that's what I was going right. to shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge Congress that. fan. She's great. When I, when I got to interview her, actually, I asked if this was like the first uh, post-Congress film where they had actually digitized her body and were now transforming her into superheroes. <laughs> um, I, don't, I couldn't tell if she was amused by that or not, but uh, she didn't beat me up. So I, I, I thought it was a, a good sign. But um but, uh, you know, a movie that I actually really liked and I uh, that she was in was The Crossing Guard, you know, that uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a million years since I've watched it. And I don't know if it holds up, but it was a, it was very important to me at the time that it came out uh, in, in sort of my maturing appreciation for film. And uh, and I think she's really great in it. Scott, Scott oh, yeah. did you have a favorite? Right Honestly, she's one of those actors that I don't think has ever been bad. Um, I mean, there are movies she was in that I like better than others. I still like Forrest Gump. I know it's not popular. I think I enjoy how weird this bizarre is. You know, but, uh, yes, Congress, House of Cards. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't have any un- unconventional choices here. Good point. Okay, uh, next question we asked everybody, what is your favorite Chris Pine role? Manish has really liked him in Z for Zachariah. First time I was really impressed by his dramatic chops, and that's just charisma and star power. Also, People Like Us is a sweet role for him. Philip has mm. Hell or High oh Water. Oh, God. People Like Us. <laughs> I, yeah, that's a shout-out. I, I, I have to go look that one up. I don't really remember I, that I, movie. I, I think, I think, both, I think it, the three of us might have even been in there together and made an audible groan watching that movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> oh. Don't worry, uh, I mean, Manish. I believe it's Mummy director Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi co-wrote and directed that oh, movie. Oh, really? And it's a, that it's a, Alex, that was actually just, just Alex Kurtzman. Just Kurtzman, okay. Um, well, they co-wrote it, but Kurtzman directed it. But that it sounds, was, or produced it, yeah. But, but that sounds, but it's that it's what it's him and Elizabeth Banks, and they're like they're they're brother and sister, but they don't know it, and yeah. like. Well, Chris really, Pine knows it. She doesn't know it. Yeah, he figures, um, and it becomes this really weird plot about like that's not a romance, but like on one side it seems like one, and the other is just like I'm just trying to get to know you and tell you this thing. Like it's this movie does sound familiar now. <laughs> yes. Well, I will I, I will digress briefly to to uh, mention that Matt Singer wrote this incredible piece about Orsi Kurtzman. Uh, I think it was sometime around uh, maybe when like Star Trek Into Darkness came out or something like that. But basically, he wrote this thing about how these guys are not they they're insanely uh likely to write in this like weird conspiratorial way and like the thing is that story for people like us was actually based on like kurtzman's real experiences yeah yeah like, I that. and like it's inspired by yeah yeah and and instead of just being like a guy who learns that his father had another family and them getting to know one another which is you know, I feel like a dramatically compelling idea by itself. Instead, it turns into exactly what you said, whereas there's like he meet Chris Pine, meets a woman who he finds out he, he knows is his sister, but he doesn't tell her for some reason. And then she develops feelings for him. And it's just weird and <laughs> really bad. Oh, oh my God. that sounds uh, like a mess. But to answer your but- question, horrible bosses, too. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think he's not actually, bad, but that's a, but that's an example of what I'm saying though. He's good in those kind of yeah, roles where it's like it's just playing no, weird know, and different. <laughs> I, I would say honestly, like uh, uh, that I think this that Wonder Woman is maybe the best performance of his that I've ever seen. Okay. 
let me finish up here, and then I'll, I'll get to uh, Aaron and Scott. Uh, Philip has Hell or High Water. I thought it was his best uh, performance. Amy, from the show, Amy has, I think uh, he's really great as Kirk. He's also my favorite in Into the Woods. And lastly, Jason has, he's my favorite as Kirk, and I really like him in Stretch. Yeah. I mean, he has a great scene with Ben Affleck and Smoke and Aces that'll always right, stand yeah. up. <laughs> we talked about this uh, maybe like a few weeks back where we like Chris Pine in these smaller roles, and Smoke and Aces came up as well. And yeah, I do think in Wonder Woman, he's, as I said, I think it's his best he's been in like this kind of a big, a, bit, a large scale movie. Scott, any uh, favorite Chris Pine roles? Um, Carriers is an Carriers is an underrated gem or underseen gem. Um, that was from about six or seven years ago. It's basically a post-apocalyptic drama, but it's more character focused than Neil Ward. Hmm. Uh, Chris Maloney's very good in it as well. Um, anyway, it's a straight dramatic role for him, but it's it's an excellent little movie. That came out for like a week in theaters, right? Yeah. I saw it on DVD. I remember seeing like a trailer for that and I'm like, oh, that movie came out and it's gone. Okay. Um, our last question here. What else do you want to see in an upcoming Wonder Woman movie or team up film? Uh, Dennis writes further exploration of those 12 books or texts or scrolls. Uh, Manish writes, I want her to lead the Justice League, the team and the film. Yeah. Any, uh, yeah, any specific things looking forward to it and more of the mascara. I just need to know that. what those what they're what they're gonna do there. Uh, I would say, my, I mean, my feeling is I, I think what they have set up is pretty good. I don't, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough about her her history in the comic books to to point out a specific thing, but I do think like if she can continue to lighten the DC universe in terms of providing a stronger uh, moral counterpoint to sort of the uh, indifferent civil service worker that is uh, Superman and the, you know, misanthropic uh, gun-toting <laughs> Batman. Uh, you know, I think that could be a great thing. Like, I mean, well, and I'm, I'm being broad, but I'm, I'm being serious, which is that, like, her character is like a salve for that cinematic universe. And if they can continue to sort of apply her... Um, in smart ways, then I think that it can really, it can repair so much of the damage that they did with some of those early movies. Well, since uh, The Flash is going to take 27 years to actually get made, yeah, she's probably the only thing that's going to lighten up the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I'm not that big a fan of that actor, so. <laughs> like, even even if it gets made, I'll be like, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Uh, now we move into questions that you guys asked for us, and Manish has a question for everybody here today. I've been thinking about the Wonder Woman theme song and how it just conjures up the image of Wonder Woman, especially after the heart-stopping entrance in Batman vs. Superman, the final battle scene. What are some of your favorite musical motifs that instantly bring back memories of a film? I mean, the obvious ones are like basically stuff John Williams did, uh, yeah. you know, Indiana Jones or Star Wars or what have you. Um, I, I, I tend to call to mind the Predator score quite often in my own mind, <laughs> so I can take take that for what it is. By I, Alvin Silvestri, yeah. yeah. Alvin Silvestri score on that one. Yeah. Alvin Silvestri Alan score on that Silvestri, one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bat sorry, Batman. go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there, there's a hundred yeah. scores that I can, you know, indep- I could, you know, Independence Day, Jurassic Park, Lord of the Rings, Unbreakable, you know, Bond, stuff from the 90s, 80s and 90s. Um... You know, the, the Spider-Man theme that, that Raimi won. Um, 
Yeah, but it's, 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 it's one of the things I do like about the, the Wonder Woman theme is that it is hummable and easily recognizable, and it's going to be associated with her character for a generation. They really went for it in the movie of Rupert Gregson Williams. He basically built the entire score around that cue that Zimmer made in the previous movie. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean that that that. And I, I, I don't think s- it's I don't think it's the best score, but I do think the I, it's noticeable that it seems like they used that as a starting point and they really went for it to kind of build everything else out of it. For sure, for sure. I would I would say I mean you know I mean just keeping it to the superhero realm. I mean the funny thing is that like I actually kind of love the disco version that's from the super the Wonder Woman TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like like I think that's a really rad. I actually I love. I love the the Spider-Man theme to the 60s TV cartoon. I love it. Well, yes. um, I mean, it tells you everything it, you need to know right there. Yeah, yes. I mean, it has great lyrics as well, of course, but um but but the but the definitely the theme to the 2000, you know, the 2002 uh Spider-Man is great. Um you know, and I mean like but I mean is there any more I mean, and this goes back to your John Williams comment. I mean, is there any more iconic superhero theme than the original Superman? I mean, you know, it's just like that is, I mean, it's, it's, it, it mirrors Jaws in terms of just literally having like one or two notes that, and that's literally all you need. And it just immediately brings back. And it's not even just like a, a music. It's, it's a, it's a feeling. And, and I mean, that's just a remarkable accomplishment for me, to me. Sometimes, sometimes you like to get hooked on a feeling. Sure, sure. Except, except if I can cut off somebody's ear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so with that said, uh, that's going to do it for feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And uh, now it's time for... Abe, what, what time is it? I think it might be time for a very quick and fun game here. Uh, I've got a cool game for you guys. It's uh, movie taglines, but this is for uh, movies that are all directed by women. Okay. So okay. Uh, I'll name. All right. I'll okay. Say the tagline and buzz in if you think that you know the movie. And uh, let's get going here. Buzz in with your name. Yep. Yep. Buzz in with your name. Here we go. Remember when buddies were buddies, girls were a mystery, and you couldn't wait to grow up. Uh, it's Scott. Scott. No, and then. Uh, it's big. That is correct. It is big. Oh, man. Next one here. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl. Oh, yeah, I got that. Todd? Todd? Yeah, that's Wayne's World. That's right. It's Wayne's World. Todd, buzz in with your name. Say Todd. <laughs> I, I said Todd that time. That <laughs> one I did. The first time I just blurted <laughs> okay. something out, I said words. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next one here. What if someone you never met, someone you never saw, someone you never knew was the only someone for you? Um, Aaron. Aaron. Sleepless in Seattle? That's correct. Nice. Oh, you guys no. are all on the board here. <laughs> Next one here. Sex, clothes, popularity, whatever. Aaron. I got it. Aaron. Clueless. That's correct. Clueless. Next one here. A true story about finding the courage to be yourself. <laughs> I'll give you another hint. It's made in 1999. Scott. Scott. Boys don't cry. That's correct. It is boys don't uh, cry. I was thinking riding in cars with boys, and I was like, "Well, that's that's not that's not, man." Okay. Next one here. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. I got it, Todd. Todd? American Psycho. That's correct. Yeah. Is that the tagline for that movie? There's like a, a there's like a there's whole slew of them that are not very good. A lot of them. 
Yeah, killer looks, killer inside, no introductions necessary. Next one here. That's fun. I like that one. It's actually not bad. <laughs> Next one here. In the ways of the ancients, she found a hope for the future. In the ways of the ancients, she found a hope for the future. Alternate tagline. One young girl dared to confront the past, change the present, and determine the future. Hmm. 2002. Based off a book by the same title. Featuring a bunch of Maori warriors. Aaron. Oh. Aaron. Is it Whale Rider? That's correct. Whale Rider. I would, have, I would have said the wrong thing. Yeah. Directed by Nikki Caro. Uh, next one here. Sometimes you have to go halfway around the world to come full circle. Sometimes you have to go, or sometimes you have to go halfway around the world to come full circle. If I saw that in the movie poster, I'd be like, fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Alternate movie title, Everyone Wants to be Found. Aaron. Aaron. Is it Pay It Forward? It's not Pay It Forward. Ah, okay. 2003. Hmm. Featuring Funny Man Turned Serious Role. Uh, uh, no. The director of this is a part of a very famous Hollywood family. Oh, I know what it is. Oh, Todd. Todd? Lost in translation. That's correct. Lost in translation. Oh. Next one here. The first female serial killer in America. Todd. 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 Monster. That's correct. Uh, next one here. Nick and Jules have the perfect family until they had uh, until they met the man who made it all possible. Nick and Jules. Nick and Jules had the perfect family until they met the man who made it all possible. 2010. Oh, Scott. Scott. The kids are all right. That's correct. Kids oh, are yeah. all right. Nick and Julia. Ah. Yeah. Last one here. New Year's Eve, 1999. Anything is possible. Nothing is forbidden. Scott. Scott. Strange Days. That's correct. Strange Days. All right. <laughs> oh, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Oh, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> With that all. Uh, Scott, you are the winner of this week's game by a shade there. Congratulations <laughs> to you, sir. Thank you. Scott, you get a DVD, but it's opened. <laughs> <laughs> you just let me win so you don't want to pay for shipping. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to hand deliver it to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Hey, that was games. Thank you. Thank you for that one. You're welcome. Uh, let's do. Let's get through this stuff quickly. Uh, let's do some out now. Presents what's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week, and a lot of things here. Oh boy! First up, Beauty and the Beast. The animated one? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. I didn't see it. Scott, that's you're all that needs to be said. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't see it, so that's all you guys need to know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, I a yeah. uh, cure for wellness. Uh, I I didn't like it that I, much. I like the weirdness yeah. of it. I championed its weirdness. Okay. Uh, a United Kingdom. This is the one with uh, David Yellowow and Rose, Rose, Rosamund Pike. Yeah, Jack Reacher. Uh, Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah, Jack Reacher reunion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard that it was good. Yeah, I've heard good things. I actually got it to review this week so, for Blu-ray. Uh, Aftermath, the Arnold Schwarzenegger drama. I uh, heard mixed things. Mixed negative. It is. I mean, he's good. Scoot McNary's very good. 
Um, but it's, it's yeah. Okay. Uh, the last word with, I believe, Shirley McLean and Amanda Seyfried. Oh, I meant to catch up on that. Yeah, what is that? All right. Um, the assignment. Michelle Rodriguez in a Walter Hill film about some. I think that also has Sigourney gen- Weaver in it, which. Sigourney Weaver. There's some gender bending going on yeah. in this one, yeah. The only thing I know about that movie is that uh, George Zuma Roeder did the score. He co composed it. Hmm. Okay. Now let's see. On Criterion this week, Ugetsu. Sure. Japanese sounds book. Sounds good. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Juice, the 25th anniversary. Yes. Tupac. Oh. Go see it. Oh, my God. I'm going to a screening on Tuesday night. Uh, like, there's a screening, and there's going to be cast in attendance, and I'm so excited. I what love that What you're saying, so Todd, much. is that you've got the Tupac juice. Either? I have the juice. Yeah. What's that? Will Tupac be there? The hologram. Yeah. Hologram. Oh, yeah. They're going to do a hologram Q&A with Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, Snowden will also be on Skype for some reason there, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's just doing the rounds these days. Uh, let's see. Van Helsing Season 1. I think it was like a sci-fi show, right? Like, I think Van I might have heard good things about it. I can't be sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a woman Van Helsing this time around to really mix things up. Hmm. Um, making its Blu-ray debut, Ridley Scott's 1492 Conquest of Paradise. Wow. At we- last! <laughs> the lesser, the lesser of two Christopher Columbus movies, which I think Scott, you wrote an article about. <laughs> I did back when they should have put this out, which was the uh, wait, no, no, it was just a random Columbus day. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I'm uh, the so this year would be 25 year anniversary. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, the young Pope on Blu-ray this week. Yeah, it's interesting. Got some interesting ideas, but I. I don't know if I'd uh, tell anybody that they have to rush out to go see it. Uh, Bambi, Signature Collection Edition on Blu-ray this week. Spoiler, she dies. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, uh, from Shout Factory, Where the Buffalo Roam? The Bill Murray, Peter Boyle. Uh, wow. Uh, what's his name? Um, it's uh, Hunter Thompson. Hunter, yeah, Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson yes. Yeah. Before before Depp got his hands on him, Bill Murray was all about it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's out now. Let's move on to Extremely Cool. There's things that are now on Netflix or streaming now. Um, I saw Zodiac is now on Netflix uh, instant. Oh, nice. Um, no, no reason not to see it. Yeah, I saw Minaj also has a stand-up comedy special. I mentioned that last week. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. I that's finally got there. a chance to see it, and it was good. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Headshot. Uh, this star is what's his name? Icky Euros from the from the raid. Uh oh yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Oh now. yeah, I heard it's about kinda that. like a they were saying that it might be like a, a raid light kind of movie. Well it stars him doing that kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah. it's not from the same, not from not from the from same the, director. Yeah. Uh but I'm still curious to check it out. Uh so yeah, there's that. Extremely cool. Next next week's show, next week we're talking uh Cruise Mummy, aka the Mummy, starring Tom Cruise. Cruise Mummy? <laughs> Cruise Mummy. I like that. <laughs> Well, Scott's been, bad. Scott's been arguing that the, the Mummy Cruise is the better title. I oh, say Cruise okay. Mummy. Cruise we'll Mummy see. is the way to go on this one. I'm excited. It's like a theme park ride. Cruise Mummy? <laughs> the Mummy Cruise. It's the, the best mummy. site of terror. <laughs> cruise Mummy, because it's just awkward to say. If you don't want your children, the scarabs will. <laughs> but yes, we will be talking about uh, Tom Cruise's latest endeavor, which kicks off the dark universe, as Universal has dun, dubbed dun, it dun. now. Yeah, get yeah. the hell out of here with that. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, last thing we can do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Todd Gilchrist, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, Wonder Woman. What do you see next? Uh, I believe, uh, well, I'm going to see Juice on Tuesday night, and I could not be more excited. But uh, I think I'm seeing Baby Driver pretty soon. I'm pretty oh, excited about that. Oh, lucky you. Yeah. Scott Mendelson, what should people see in theaters right now? Wonder Woman, of course. But also Captain Underpants, because it's charming and fun. <laughs> what do you see next? Uh, the Mummy. Abe? Wonder Woman, and seeing The Mummy next. I also am curious about It Comes at Night. So if it's spread Ooh. wide, then I'll, I'll yeah, for go sure. check that out. Yeah, I, uh, I, Wonder Woman and Captain Underpants. You can't go wrong with superhero movies right now. <laughs> that's, Accurate. That's where we are. Yeah, including yeah. Guardians. Including Guardians, yes. Um, and yeah, I'm seeing The Mummy next. But yeah, I am looking forward to It Comes at Night as well. Um, that's one I definitely want to check out. Um, so yeah, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at the my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews and everything else I do over there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find me over at Oakley Doakley, Instagram, and Twitter.com slash Moose, hashtag Lasso of Truth. Uh, Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, well, if you go to mtime.com, you can see some of it uh, in uh, Chinese, uh, which may not do you that much good. Uh, Google Translate is not altogether that helpful, but um, I offer plenty of opinions on Twitter at mtgilchrist. And uh, you can see pictures of my cats and my sneakers uh, <laughs> on Instagram under uh, Best Dress Todd. Scott Mendelson. Uh, Forbes.com. Uh, you know, if you want to Google Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth Forbes, you'll find my page. Nice. You can find all the other episodes about Now Out and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. Listen to us over at Stitcher, uh, HHWD, Podomatic, and SoundCloud. Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on Wonder Woman or anything else we talked about today over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us feedback over facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And feel free to send us plenty of gifts of empowerment over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah. Scott, Todd, thank you both for thank joining both. us uh, tonight. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us on. It was lots of fun. For sure. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it till we see... Uh, how the cruise mummy works out for everybody. <laughs> so until next time, so long. And goodbye.
reboot Peter Parker all you want, but leave Jay Jonah Jameson alone. Yeah, you leave him alone. <laughs> you leave him out of this. It's a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs>